All right, we're back. Uh, I got a special guest today. Special. Mr. Brett. Not just a guest. Yeah, special guest. Oh, man. I feel like you are a special guest. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. You're uh you're kind of like a like a little hidden gem of the hunting photography world. Uh, you don't you don't make too many appearances, so <laughs> anytime we can pull you out of the house, a little unicorn, get you in the public, you and know, I'm, eye is good. I'm the Sasquatch that someone saw, uh, and then three years later they're like, "Man, I'm I'm telling you, I saw him," and then yeah. I get to get another glimpse of me. We'll get into the good stuff here shortly. How long have you been shooting hunting? photos just we'll just do the kind of a couple brief questions on you as a photographer and then we'll dive into the to the meat well actually doing it myself or yeah, being a part yeah. of it well you all. started you started we won't go way way back but you started shooting fly fishing photos first yep and before so to with the caveat of that is that i got into that whole scene because i was working as a model for brian grossenbacher yeah. and he at the time had the Sims contract. And so he was also doing Orvis. And so the deal was I was working for him as an independent contracted guide. He was an outfitter at the time and I got to travel all over the world for things I couldn't afford to ever go and do. Yeah. Brian had an awesome gig for me. He's like, Hey, listen, you know, you're going to go around and fish. I'm not going to pay you of course, but you're going to get to go have these experiences. And all you got to do is look good and catch fish. Yeah. You got to wear what I tell you to wear. And at the time, I would have wore a clown suit to catch the tarpon. You know what I mean? So I was traveling around with him. And th we did that for probably, I don't know, six or seven years for sure. I got to go all over the world. It was great. Yeah. It was really fun. And so that, that inspired me. So I'm watching him and watching how he does his job. And um, ultimately, I was like, well, there's not too many positions what I'm in. But I feel like man, you've inspired me to basically want to pick up a camera myself. So I started picking up a camera, started shooting it. Um, I studied a little bit at MSU here in Bozeman in 2001 for, uh, for photography. I had a class. Uh, it was like photography. Intro to yeah. Did yeah. you have to go like develop to, film and you shit? You got to develop film. I love that class. It. Yeah. <laughs> and Rachel Laundrin was my teacher. And uh, she basically told me I suck and my composition yeah. sucks and you should probably pick up a different major. And I mean, at the time you're young, you're insecure, you know, some adult tells you, some professional working professional tells you that you're not good at what exactly she does. And she was a pro photographer at the time. Um, you know, so I was inspired by what she told me in a negative way. And so I, I ended up getting away from photography, always played around and dabbled in it. But then working for Brian, I realized, I mean, education or not, like experience alone mm -hmm. is going to teach you a lot of things. Yeah. Brian never, I, he would answer the questions that I had, but I didn't have a lot of questions. I was more really observative. I'm kind of a quiet learner like that. You know, mm -hmm. like if you do anything in front of me and I watch you, like if you do it really well and do it a couple times, I got it. Yeah. And then so over the years, I started picking up on what he was doing. I mean, the guy always had a camera in his hand. That was one tip that I, I was, thought was paramount to anything, learning from him at all. He never put it down. He had a strap. He had a, a wrist strap, basically. Or, you know, it goes around the, your knuckles there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he always, always, always had his camera in his hand. He would burn through batteries, letting it sit basically there on at all times. And uh, he catch some great stuff in moments that you just don't expect. So <laughs> learned that from him. He, I remember him telling me, you know, either decide to fish or shoot photos for the day. For sure. But don't do both. Yeah. You're going to get half-assed results. And that was like a that was a really paramount moment too, and yeah. I think that's totally true. If you try to hunt Super and you try applicable. to shoot photos, or you try to fish and you try to shoot photos, you're going to come up with a half-assed product on both sides. 
So, I mean, I, I remember taking that very seriously, which ultimately made, it meant less fishing time. Yeah. And so I got to travel around the world shooting photos in 2013 is really when I like came out of, I came out of my came shower. Out of the like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I came out of the world. I was like, I'm a photographer. I paid for shit, but I have a website yeah. and Instagram was still on its up uptick you know and i remember a good buddy being like hey you should be part of this and i was like oh man i got a facebook account i'm covered <laughs> yeah. no i'm doing all the i'm things good i got i got a website and facebook what do i need instagram for but i started it then too and and just slowly built over time built up some confidence with uh working for mainly shooting weddings at first and to be honest with you weddings is great money um yeah you're gonna ha i mean i've never shot one but i can only imagine you have to learn a ton shooting weddings it's and a lot of relationships it's people and management people and more than anything and yeah. directing human beings into the right places to get the right shots and dude it, it, it's not the bride it's the bride's mother yeah you got to manage her well because at first she's real nervous uh -huh. you know make sure you get a picture of uncle tommy he's gonna die soon and you don't don't forget Aunt Aunt Millie. She's really really important. I want a picture with her with my with the groom with the groom alone against that backdrop. And then by nine o'clock she's wine drunk and she's like telling you yeah. the greatest thing on earth. Yeah. But just managing those things <laughs> that was uh, I think the most difficult part of it. So, I mean yeah, started off in wedding photography and I was shooting my buddies' families and I mean I was I was not I didn't step into like. Hey, Brian, thanks for all the training. Can I get a connection at Sims? And can you give me your Orvis contacts? Or, you know, yeah. basically started from the bottom and just shot photos locally. And then slowly, I went in 2013, I went to New Zealand with a friend. I had a fishing client over in uh, Sydney, Australia. And he invited me over to New Zealand. We went fishing for a week. And then I stayed with a buddy for three weeks. He was surfing at the time. I talked to Bo Bart Bonheim, who was working at Patagonia at the time. Mm -hmm. I talked him into sending me some gear for Patagonia, and, and I came back with a giant portfolio of images uh, with Patagonia wetsuits and surfing conditions. I had a surfing housing. I was out there sitting in the surf, just drowning, nice. <laughs> treading water with fins, of course, but trying to get those barrel shots and just epic, like, remote surfing shots. But then when the waves got mushy, we would go inland and we'd go fishing. And I came back with a portfolio of images and kind of display the world, like, this is what I got. Yeah. And the first, like, big gig I got was for Keen Footwear, and that was great. And I, I remember one of those photos, I, I one of those photos was a billboard, and I wanted to take a picture of that and, like, have the marketing director send me that so that I could send it to Rachel Laundered and be like, I do not suck, lady. Yeah. That was my teacher in Yo, bash. Suck. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> like, thanks for inspiring me by telling me I suck. Well, How I do mean, you know she dude, wasn't doing that? You can inspire that. people by telling them they suck. You know yeah. what I mean? It it's not on what the kind best. Of person they are. I don't know if it's the best motivational strategy, but it definitely works for the right people. Yeah, hundred percent. There's definitely people that you. In my case, you I'm get to German, know them. You get to know them. Yeah. And my girlfriend's like this. You tell her you can't do it, and she's yep. going to do it. Hundred percent. And it's almost like just the easiest hack ever. So maybe she picked that up throughout the course of the semester, and maybe she maybe had not. some. Jedi mind shit. And yeah. in the beginning, she's like, I'm going to tell this guy, this particular type of person, that they suck and they're yeah. going to succeed. Regardless, I got where I wanted to be. And then, yeah, in 2015 or 16, I met Brad Christian over at Matthews. He was working for Matthews at the time and yeah. gave me a shot with a no cam and started there. And uh, still working for Matthews. Uh, okay. Did a bunch of work for Sick in the past and Yeti and worked for a bunch of reputable companies that have done very well. 
Nice. Yeah, it's been it's been an awesome journey. It's been it's 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 changed a little bit, right? Yeah. Brad and I have had a lot of long conversations about the hunting industry and and photography and content and uh yeah, he he has a lot of stories to tell, some of which you got to get to know him to hear. Uh Yep. But you definitely have a lot of experience, the highs and the lows. Yep. of it all for sure at the end of the day why what it what like motivates you to keep pursuing hunting content either in front of the camera and also behind it like what's kind of the driving factor for you i think as time has gone on that that question has become more and more on the forefront of my mind mm -hmm. and i have to sometimes sit back and wonder what what is the real goal here you know, are we trying to create more? Are we trying to inspire so many people to do this that the voice is so strong that honey will never go away? Or are we just overpopulating the public land or just the uh, saturating the things that we love to do, creating, you know, an inflation of price on everything that we love to do mm -hmm. from um, <laughs> on all levels? Yeah. And, I don't know, Zach. To be honest with you, I've had that question. That question has come to the forefront of my mind more and more as I've gotten older and as time has gone on with what I see through social media, through the marketing, through some things that I feel are very unauthentic compared to what I've saw what I, what I saw in the past. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And as time go, goes on, I, I trust me. I'm asking me. I'm, you're asking me that question. I'm asking myself that question all the time. Yeah, and I think that uh ultimately you've been on the verge of you've definitely seen and probably i could i would say maybe focused on a lot of the negative aspects of it and i think i recognize those but i think i've like our progressions and paths are different everybody's is i've always seen the positive impact that you can have i mean you're definitely one of the most loved team shooters for Matthews as far as content pieces like anytime you're in a film or anything like whether you'll say it or not people are pumped like you you make it fun which I think is awesome and I see like if you're going to be involved in like my personal pathways like people are going to promote hunting and they're going to be on social media and they're going to tell you what they think it is if there's going to be a bunch of shitheads running around out there like there needs to be some guys that Positive. Are, are positive and showing people sure. like it doesn't have to be like that this is the way that it can be sure and so i think if you're gonna you know you got to make a decision at the end of the day do i want to do this or not and if you do i think you can you can do it for good why does it trend reasons. why does it trend t more towards the negative things that we see in social media and how things are portrayed to people nowadays it seems to me that mm -hmm. there's more negative like oh man why did you do that and why is that inspirational to other people to continue to do that i think and why do you not see more what you're calling positive um just ambassadorship of of basically people showing what we love to do in an authentic way why i do you mean think i think that if we went on like a wicked deep level i think that social media is literally just a like little window into like human nature like we just didn't see it in this light previously like it, everything that everything that human beings are existed before social media i think obviously it breeds 
bad habits in people and like very self-centered habits and materialistic habits i mean i think if you just look at like what human nature is like if you look at like where do we come from like do you believe in god or not like what is like the purpose of like a human being in your life here like i i think like human nature obviously is inherently like if you wanted to go this way like sinful like we all have tendencies to want to be kind of like in the spotlight for people to credit us to see what i did like we all have those tendencies right and i think social media either like amplifies them or for me it's been like a really good learning curve of like seeing where it took me at times of being very self-centered and seeing it in people and like kind of like having it be like almost like a it's like a social experiment and you can look at it and learn and glean a lot from it both about yourself and people in general or you can just get like sucked into the vortex of like me 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 yep which I think is the really bad part. Yep. And I would say that negatively impacting hunting in a lot of bad ways. Is overwhelming for a lot of people. And yeah. They, they end up getting sucked into that. It's an I addiction. Can, so going back to what you originally asked, like, so to make a parallel to this, and I, I ask myself this often, and I have a good answer for it, and I think that parallel happens to um, photography. I'm a fly fishing outfitter. I've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. People have been coming here to fly fish for decades, long time. Montana's been on the map way before a river runs through it. it just that that really kind of put it on a rocket ship. But um, ultimately, you can ask yourself the same question: like, why do you take people fly fishing for something that you love? You love the solitude of fly fishing. You love Montana's serene experience, but ultimately, you're contributing to something that seems like an overcrowding crowding population. Um, a populist for pe- or opinion of what people experience it as of right now. Yeah. So the the way that I look at trout fishing, the way that I look at outfitting is every time I get a fishing client, I have an opportunity to teach them how to think of it in a different spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so when they get in my boat, they're kind of stuck in 16 feet of surface for eight hours. Like we're going from point A to point B and I got them in my boat and I can't, they don't know where they're at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I let them on the bank and say, get back home and they're not going to know how to do that. So I have an they opportunity. They think they just floated in a circle back to the truck. <laughs> yes. And we're, we're also, we're, you know, fly as if you, if anyone here is listening that fly fishes, they know it's a very active sport. So you're, you're, you're not on your phone. You have someone's full attention. And if they're willing to learn for the day, which most of them are, um, you have their full attention. So, right. The way that people hold trout, the way that they, uh, what they want and what they need for their day, how they quantify the experience. I can spend eight hours kind of giving them my point of view on what really are you looking for out of this experience. It's almost like a day of psycho, uh, like being a psychologist, because you're kind of trying to get in their brain a little bit of like, what makes you relax? Is it more fish? Or is it just the fact that the wind's not blowing right now? Mm-hmm. If it's blowing hard and raining and you know, and it's a squall here in Montana, which we get, if catching fish alleviates all of that experience around you, does that make it worth it? Or is it about the nice weather and regardless of catching fish? And I try to talk to them about that. I, I'm very proactive with asking them, like, what do you expect out of your day? Like, mm-hmm. what do you find 
um, relaxing. Because at the end of the day, dude, I think you're really putting days, if not weeks, on their life on the back end by helping them relax or find some kind of chi or zen moment in fly fishing. Yeah. I'm getting a little, like, I'm getting a little uh, Jack Handy deep on this. Yeah. I'm not trying to, but what I'm trying to say is I have an opportunity to be an ambassador for Montana's wild trout. And so when I see someone catch a six-inch trout and they're like, oh, man, just another six-inch trout, like, the first thing, the first passive aggressment, uh, passive aggressment, uh, passive <laughs> aggressive comment I have, which I have plenty of them in my bag, yeah. is, oh, that's the biggest first world problem I've ever heard of today. For sure. Like, let me play you the world's smallest violin mm -hmm. for you catching a six-inch wild trout. Oh, yeah. There's little kids in Africa that aren't getting fresh water today, and we're worried about your six-inch trout. Yeah. Like, not going to happen. So that's just let's, – let's talk about that six-inch trout. That six-inch trout is – one of 10 out of 5,000 eggs that made it to that size. Him and his other four brothers, are. there's going to be two of them that make it past 12 inches. Mm -hmm. Do you understand that? Like I try to – basically what I'm trying to say is like every fish that you catch out here is a serene experience. It doesn't matter their yeah. size. And so – and I've t I know I've tapped into literally thousands of people's brains trying to give them a new perspective on something. And to relate that back to photography – the reason that I'm still shooting photography or that I want to pursue photography at this moment is you have an opportunity to change someone's mind. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't have every photographer that is inspired by my content or someone else's content in my boat for eight hours that I can talk to them about these things. But that's how I look at outfitting and I can relate that to photography as well. That's how I kind of like, I see myself as you have a chance to be an ambassador to show this the right way or to bring new perspective to it. Yeah. So do what you can to do that. In the world of outfitting, I do it very different than I do in the world of photography. If you follow me on social media, I'm not very active on it late right now. I haven't been for about two years. Mm -hmm. I've been very light on it because I'm kind of in, I'm in a weird limbo phase with it where I become an observer of it more than I become a participant of it. And I'm always looking for like where... How do I want to portray, how do I reach those people? And I can't grab, the, like, I'm a very tangible person, right? Like, if I'm learning something, I need to be hands-on doing mm -hmm. it. I can't read a book and learn how to do something. I have to do something by my hands. And so when I get someone in front of me, like, you and I have spent a lot of time hunting. We spent a lot of time fishing together. So we get to have these longer conversations. If I could have those conversations through social media, Maybe I would feel more influential, like what I'm contributing to it. Yeah. But at this point, I don't know how to really make an impact with, you know, either laying out this like three thumb scrolls of like writing in there mm -hmm. or to tell an Instagram story about how I feel perspective wise yeah. on this kind of stuff. And also that isn't very engaging at times. It sounds like you're just standing on a soapbox and no one wants to really. Hear. I mean, there's a lot of soapbox going on right now on yeah. all sorts of level oh, yeah. in the world so like the last thing someone wants to do is maybe get on instagram and, and find that you know this maybe inspirational person is on another soapbox so that's where i've had this like i'm just in a weird limbo moment of like how do i see the value in social media and um how do I see the value in reaching out to people that you can inspire in the correct way because i think the world needs it right now especially in what we love to do because as I mean, if anyone's been hunting the West for the last five years, let alone 10 years, you've seen the change. You've mm -hmm. seen the demand go up and you're having a harder time maybe finding the solitude you're used to. Yeah. 
I'll kind of jump back and I said you you said you're going deep on on the guiding thing, but I think anytime you care about something deeply, you should you're going to go deep on it. So I think that's more of a testament to your passion for it, which I think is a really good thing. I think uh, social media, basically for everyone listening, the reason I want to have Brett on is because when you jump into the hunting photography world, content creation, social media, you really need to be thoughtful at the end of the day of like, why am I doing this and what are my motivations? Because as we both know, the industry wants to pull you a certain direction. Social media and likes want to pull you a certain direction. And you kind of just got to really introspectively like think about it. And the, the dynamics of hunting are constantly changing. And it's also about, you know, having and, whatever you believe in, if you could write those things down and say, I believe in these 10 things or five, maybe just yeah. two things that you believe in and never to never really stray from them. Whether yeah. that it, it, it's going to be money, it's going to be... All sorts of things could pull you away from there. That makes sense for a lot of people, but you're not going to break that oath to yourself. Yeah. And I feel like in this case scenario, I'm just trying to kind of help you out with what you're trying to say. Keep going. Yeah. Well, I mean, like photography, it's an art. It's just communicating a vision. Like at the end of the day, like if you are blindly shooting photos, then you're kind of missing the point. Because if you think about it, like the only reason you take the photo is to share it with someone else. And so what is the point of sharing that image and what is, what are you trying to communicate? And the quicker that you can learn to develop your mindset of what it is you want to achieve by doing this craft, the closer you get to finding happiness, pursuing it. Yep. And for everyone listening, they want to get better at a craft which has a lot of other tangible benefits outside of just hunting photography. Or like just as communica- you know, communicating their perspective. Exactly. Things, how they see it. You're becoming a storyteller, which in today's day and age, like is basically just developing your communication skills, which obviously we're pretty bad at because, you know, even in my own friend circles, like I don't know a lot about certain people and we need to do a better job of communicating what it is we believe, why we believe it. What do you think? How are you doing? Just being, having a little bit deeper relationship with people and social media definitely doesn't help it. The swipe, 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 click, click, like, Oh, I think I know what you've got going on when you have no realization of it. So using photography as a medium to understand relationships and communication is, you know, it's cool. Absolutely. And I think that's why we like it in a lot of ways is that we get to communicate something to other people. The people that have been using social media in what I was calling a negative way, I mean, that's what you and I have talked about over campfires. I wonder in 10 years if they'll go back through their Instagram and go, oh, man, that was dumb. Yeah. And delete and delete and delete and delete. I think if everyone had the like the mindset of like, Everything I have on my Instagram, I'm proud of and I'll leave up forever. Mm-hmm. Because you are really laying out a timeline of your life. Have you ever yeah. gone to the bottom of your Instagram? Oh, yeah. It's kind of weird. I, I like it. <laughs> it's kind of strange. It's like, weird, but I like it. It's all this integration from you. You thinking that hashtags were everything. And then maybe you go up to and you're like, no, I'm going to isolate this. It's only if people are looking at maybe at um, Matthew's Archery or at Stone Glacier or at Sick of Gear, like you're just isolating. And I've done that before mm-hmm. and tried to isolate it. Like it's not going in the realm of hunting. It's going like I shot this for this company and that's how I felt yeah. at this moment. And that's all I'm trying to say. Um, 
and that's kind of a way of um, of saying like I don't need the whole world to look at this. I don't need as many eyeballs as possible. I'm trying to reach all the people that can maybe potentially that are looking for the way that I feel about this yeah. and inspiring those people. And um, it's kind of, you know, you have an opportunity to maybe be somewhat speakeasy-ish about your Instagram. Like, is it all about the eyeballs? If you look at people's engagement, look at look at someone that's followed by 50,000 people. Look at their, like, go through 10 of their posts, and then you can easily do the algorithm. The algor- um, we could do a, a quick algebra problem and show basically exactly how much engagement they're having. You know, if their engagement's under a percent, then... You know, are those really the people that you care about no. speaking to? No. I mean, first and foremost, we're all kind of strangers to each other. You know what I mean? I would say until a year and a half, two years of knowing you, we were kind of just acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Only after time spent with each other face-to-face do we consider each other friends. Yeah. So the people that follow you on Instagram, 99% of them you've never met before. No. So, like, is it all about engaging with the most number of people you can possibly get eyeballs on you? That might be monetarily beneficial, but what about just trying to change a young person's mind on how they think one particular way? I know I've done that. I know I've done that fly fishing. I've done it. I wish I knew how much I've done it through photography, but there's no way to quantify that. But yeah. but it's such a it's such a rewarding feeling to get that from somebody and say that's a different way that I never thought about fly fishing. You know what I mean? I'm all about like. Dude, if you're coming to fly fish with me and you want to catch numbers, like that's not my jam. Mm. You know what? And if you catch over 25 in a day, I I could care less if you catch 26. Yeah. I mean, I'm almost looking for like, okay, let's just play around with what flies don't work to see if you catch 27. Yeah, well, I haven't fished this bug in about two years. Dude, <laughs> so that I could, damn it, dude, I mean, he hooked up on a two footer. Shit. <laughs> what's enough? You know, at what point do you say I'm a successful fly fisherman that particular day? I keep making those analogies just because. That's what I'm, you know, it's such a tangible part of my life and that I, I just deal with it every day. So going back to photography, like, you know, is it all about gaining this huge following so that you can get the attention of some company to maybe potentially pay you for your work? Or do you stand behind something and show something? Because I, I can tell you that the people that I've worked for that are like the yes and no men at, or and women at these companies, they aren't looking for the numbers. They're looking for who are you? And can I find out who you are through your Instagram? Yeah, I was going to say, at the end of the day, the people that, well, if you look, like if I look back on my timeline, like I see progress, like personal develop. Like I, I can see it. I mean, I've lived my own life, so I, I recognize things that people wouldn't look at seeing it. But to me, that's awesome. And I've always prided myself, whether it was as a freelancer or working with my brother, Travis, at Montana Wild, like, we're going to do what we want to do and what we think is cool because at the end of the day, the most popular people in the world are the people that are just themselves. Yep. The people that adapt to what other people want, they come and go. 100%. They have momentary success with the people that have an identity because you're interest- people are interested about people. And people that are unique and original and authentic to themselves. And yeah. that's what makes them interesting. Because if we all were the same, we'd be a bunch of freaking robots. And those people are keeping themselves 
as I mean, not to sound like everyone needs to be a narcissist. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is they hold their own values mm -hmm. upmost in primary. Yeah. And through that, do they have a following or an understanding? And ultimately, they're not worried about what people say, because that, if they are having success being somebody they're not, then they're going to be really confused when they're not having mm -hmm. success with that. Yeah. And they're like wondering who they are. I mean, do anyone that's been in a relationship that didn't work out and you ended up like either for a guy or a girl trying to be somebody you're not, I know I've been there and you get broken up with or mm -hmm. a marriage fails or, you know, in my case, an engagement went to shit. Like you sit there and you're wondering like, who am I now? Like, I have no idea. That was like probably the biggest lesson in my life anyways. And it came through a relationship mm -hmm. is I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. And that didn't work out, even though as time went on, I kind of like kept trying to manipulate myself into somebody I wasn't. And then when that's gone, you're sitting there feeling most lost. Mm -hmm. uh, the mo you've never been lost, th this lost in your entire life. And that experience is terrible. Yeah. And ever since then, it was like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. And if I find a relationship along that path, great. Yeah. And in that case scenario, I'm happily married. I got a little baby boy on the way. Like my life couldn't be better because that's the most important stuff in my life. So it couldn't be better. But what I'm trying to say is like as a photographer, if you keep that standard high and you believe in something and I don't believe that people standing there with duck bills in their mouth or yeah. laying naked next to their deer, truly believe in doing that. That's the class clown, dude. Yeah. That's the, I'm going to get some attention. This is going to get shared. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get some likes. People are going to follow me because they expect me yep. to do more stupid shit on my Instagram. And in 10 years, 15 years, when you have a little child and they're, you know, hey, dad, I want to follow someone on Instagram. Who should I follow? And they're following some other ass clown. Like, you're going to be like, don't follow that guy. But you were that guy. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get to is like, don't let yourself get to that point. Have morals, have ethics about yeah. yourself and stand proud in those things. And if it's a slower road, you're on the right path. Yeah. Let me tell you that if I can take any, if anyone can take any takeaway is that if you want to get where you want to go, it's going to be slow for sure. That's what it is. That's life. There's no hack to it. There's no cheat code. You got to go slow and you got to be methodical and you got to be thoughtful to what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And you got to stand by who you are. Yeah. And if you, don't get where you want to go eventually. At least you know that you stood by what you believed in and it wasn't accepted by the world. But ultimately, you didn't chameleonize yourself to the world and try to be somebody you're not. And that's what I see on Instagram and that's what I'm complaining about. That's where I'm like, ugh, this is gross. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, I'm more going ugh than I am going, that's inspirational. That's awesome. That brings me to tears or that inspires me to go out tomorrow and shoot some more photos. That's what I'm seeing less and i'm seeing more of i'm gonna do whatever it takes to monetize myself and become a quote-unquote influencer or whatever that is that's where i'm not willing to ever go and if i eventually if if the companies that i work for at, at, at the end of the day if they ever did come and say you just it just doesn't work in the model the way it goes we know you're a great guy but it doesn't work in the model that you're portraying how you want to do this and the way that it's actually bringing in and selling product or promoting the, our product, then I can part with that and be okay with that because mm -hmm. that's just the world going that way and me always standing strong on how I feel. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to be two inches 
two inches wide and three feet deep. And I always want to be a deep person and be strong there because there's a foundation if you're two inches wide and three feet deep. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be three feet wide and two inches deep and you're going to be over here and over there with how you feel on certain things, you're going to be brittle as glass. Any kind of vertical movement is going to break you in half. Absolutely, it's going to make you unhappy. Absolutely. I mean, this is a great line. That my dad tells me all the time, and it drove me it drove me nuts as a kid. Okay, but I'm going to say this to my little boy that should be here in March, God willing. Um, you know, he'd, he'd always I'd say something to him, and I'd, I'd be coming off like I was, you know, I got the answer, and he'd be like, "I'm not smarter than you. I'm just older. I've already seen this part of the movie. Do you want me to tell you how it ends? Yeah. Like I, I, it doesn't. I'm not saying I'm smarter than you. I love that line That's because experience alone is going to tell that this person has just already been further down that road or mm. already had those experiences. And so at the ripe age of 40 years old, I'm trying to drop some wisdom of what I've learned in the last 15 years doing this or being around it. And I'm just trying to portray the next 15 years for people as they get older and make themselves the names for themselves or at least try. And yeah. you should absolutely try. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is just developing my mindset of like how I view what I do and being thoughtful about it, which we've talked about and you can just get in the weeds left and right on and talk for days on. 100%. One thing that came up recently that was was interesting and we're going to kind of break it down was Matt Ranella, who is the brother of Stephen Ranella, which pretty much probably everyone listening knows about, but uh, Stephen Ranella has the Mediator show and media conglomerate. Uh, Matt Ranella wrote kind of an opinion piece called Unfollowing Hunting Social Media Will Make Hunting Better. And, you know, I, some of the circles of people that I have had mentioned it and I heard about it and I read it and Brett read it. And I, we just, I kind of want to just go through it because I think, you know, if you're going to be a content creator of any kind or be involved in the hunting industry, you should think about how you portray hunting and w- what your motivations are. And I agree with some of what Matt says, and I disagree with some of it. And um, what's important that Matt did was that he spoke his mind and had the courage to say it. And that we can all respect. Whether you yeah, agree or you disagree, sure. the man spoke his mind, and you got to give him kudos for that. But beyond that, go ahead. I think that a lot of his negatives come. They're definitely positioned towards the narcissistic, do whatever for likes, doesn't hunt for the reasons that you and I hunt and a lot of people hunt of the experience and the wildlife and the camaraderie, the hardship, the meat, the full total experience of it. They just do it because they need recognition via other people. I would in s- social media, and so it'd be interesting to know how long those people that he's speaking of have hunted, and what their background is of who they were taught to hunt by, or who influenced them to hunt. Mm-hmm. What I think originally happened—I mean, Zach, I don't know where, like, who taught you? Did anyone teach you how to hunt? No, I taught myself. Okay, so like, what did you use as a resource? Because I mean, at some point, you got to say, okay, like a compound bow. What the hell is that? Like, did you use Google? Did you use books? Did you use Chuck Adams? I mean, what? Well, so this is like this is interesting because like my whole reason for doing what I do is because my family didn't hunt. None of my friends hunted. I literally went to school in Montana, 
and felt this just draw to do things outdoors like you had to hunt you know like when i first came to montana you were supposed to die, drive a diesel truck and <laughs> listen right. to country like you know i just even though north idaho is literally right there same a lot of the same country a lot of the same things like i wasn't exposed to it so when i came across hunting and fly fishing i was almost mad that none of my friends and family had exposed me to it and coming from a ski background of making ski films to get you hyped up for the year i looked for that couldn't find it and wanted to share my experience with people so my like reasons for what i do i think were very like pure of just like this is fucking rad how come no one told me i want to share yeah. with my family and friends yeah and like that's really driven what i do but your experience of like of of honey and you came from obviously uh, trial yeah, and error like the, yeah, the rest of to, us can't be taught the the ins and outs of any particular type of hunting but like what did you use as a resource it was like forums forums were really the only thing yeah. i could find like bowsite.com was a big thing like it's always been back kind of when, a decent big thing but it, it it was it was a it was the forum for a long time it was pretty much when i started like archery talk and hunt talk with randy because okay. okay. like back in the day on hunt talk like the boys were giving out a lot before things progressed and like right. guys started to like kind of like clam up a little bit. And if you go back even further pre-internet, you're going to find that most people like like probably I would I'm going to take a swing at this, but 90%, 95% of people learned how to hunt or fish through somebody mm. that was either related to them or within their community. Yeah. And they learned from a particular person. And we all know how powerful that is to learn something in person from a particular person. I think that's where the disconnect lies. And that's what I'm trying to get to is, is we talk about this is like, I guess what I'm saying is as time's gone on and if numbers truly have dropped, which we, we don't know if numbers, it, it, that's a, that's a weird piece of data that I don't, I'm not an expert on, so I'm not about to stand on that. Mm -hmm. But what I guess what I, what, what rock I am going to stand on is that I think hunting and fishing traditions were taught by people of a community or a family member pre-internet. And as time has gone on and the disconnect has happened somehow, some way with how we communicate with each other, people are still looking for that potential opportunity to learn something. And as forums become more popular, as hunting TV shows have become more popular, and now as you know, social media influencers for hunting, YouTube, all of these sources of information, resources for information for people to learn how to hunt. Mm -hmm. I think therein lies the problem of some people are just shitty resources oh, to yeah. teach this stuff. No doubt. And I'm not saying that those shitty resources weren't there in the 50s through 90s. I'm saying that um, they for sure were there. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying that those were in the, – the, there's a different way to communicate now and you can learn how to gut an elk from like how many different YouTube channels, how yeah. many different like videos can you watch on how to, uh, a gutless method, cut an elk up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, um, I guess as time goes on, some of those, those bad mentors or people that haven't correlated it well to people to understanding the bigger picture of what we all find precious have influenced and we're seeing the offspring of how those people perceive it and how they move forward with it. And then you add money to it and it wrecks everything. But continue. Yeah. Go ahead. I figured we'd just go through some of the article. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with some of it. 
early on, he says, my argument starts with the fact that in much of the U.S., public land hunting is so overcrowded, it's no longer worth it. That's a large I statement. fucking disagree with that in, in a huge way. Uh, it's a lar- I think that's that a large- some of my negative things I take away from Matt's perspective is that he's super gloom and doom, and he pay- paints a pretty large group of people in the situation in like a really uniform and negative light. Like, There definitely are public land hunting spots that are, are too overcrowded, and they are no longer probably worth hunting for most people, but... I can tell you for a fact that the people willing to work, put the time in, you can find plenty of solitude. I hunted, I I rarely ran into hunters my whole season outside of areas that I knew just inherently would hold pressure either via easy access, trails, whatever. So I think that. The contrary of that is that I've hunted my region of where I hunt for the last 10 years, and I saw more pressure this year than I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And last year was the most pressure I had seen before this year. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to say is work hard or not, I think he's making a very broad statement there. Mm-hmm. But regardless of whether you're willing to put a pack on and do 15 miles in the mountains or you just know a spot that you wouldn't tell your mother that you can actually get your truck to to start hunting – He's, I mean, those are two very different experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you mean is working hard or just keeping your mouth shut and not telling people where those places yeah. are or becoming more popular through forums, through social media, whatever. Like, I do understand his point of view on that. I think it's a broad statement to say it's wrecked everywhere, and I don't think he has enough words to actually express that. I, I, if he was sitting right there, I bet you he would retract and say, you know, like, for sure. It was a sentence. You know, I, I wish I could go back and say I'm it sure he's going for a little splash right yeah. there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Bam. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure, uh, for sure. I definitely agree that existing hunters are hunting more and that we pr- like we just have to have more hunters. I don't see how hunter numbers would actually decline, especially if you looked at just total number of hunter days, have definitely have to have well, went up. Western hunting absolutely 100% has inc- there, there's an incline there. Yeah. There's got to be. Now, in, like, eastern portions of the United States and, like, whitetail woods and turkey woods, there's been more – there's more privatization there. There's more uh, – what he says in there is that what our our, um, our space for living, our household space – Yeah, I mean, obviously habitat is shrunk. Has doubled and, and, and habitat is shrunk. So, yeah, I could totally see how um, – I know that where I grew up in Illinois, I could knock on a lot of doors. Well, we grew up there, so, I mean, I still have those connections, but – Ultimately, the people that I could probably get on to hunt that I used to be able to just go over there, like they didn't even ask me to tell them when I was going. Like, yeah, Brett, for the season, you could whitetail hunt the, the farm. No problem. I would have to call them every time I went now mm-hmm. if they if they didn't have one of their leases going in that particular piece of woods. Mm-hmm. And they would have to explain to the person that was paying, hey, listen, this is our neighbor for our entire life. We're going to let them in this place. That's just going to be that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is it has changed significantly back east, and I think it's become harder and harder for those opportunities for yeah. sure. And I think people are also kind of like like losing faith in that, and you don't want to see that, right? Yeah. And out west, there's a lot of public land opportunity. There's a lot of over-the-counter opportunities. There was anyways, and those are starting to start to – they're starting to get recognized and they're starting to dwindle a little bit. I think some of it is like – there's like two things. Like one is perspective. Like when we went out into the Missouri River breaks and we made our film The Outlier and we talked to the biologist 
it was the same, like the same story almost repeats itself. In the 80s, people were complaining that there was too much pressure, too many hunters, not enough elk. Yet the elk numbers have only continued to rise. Opportunity still exists. Nothing has really changed out there. Yet people would say, oh, back in the 80s, you know, like the trophy quality is going to come and go. Hunting is a sport that's going to naturally fluctuate regardless of what man impacts on it. If you just left wild, the, the wild sure. is purely wild. There's sure. fluctuation. Yeah. Like you yeah. cannot expect your spot to be the same. Yeah. And I think that some of the people that find frustrations in what's happening with hunting which is just naturally going to occur social media or not, is that they're unwilling to adapt. Yep. And move over to a different place. And move to a different place. Try a different strategy. Go to a different part of the state. Maybe try hunting here. And there's so many opportunity. Like if we look at the scope of our opportunity here versus places anywhere else in the world, it's, oh my goodness. For sure. Look where elk are now where they weren't 10 years ago or where Mm -hmm. they weren't prevalent 15 years. Maybe there was a couple out there. There's a herd here, there. But now they're there a lot, you know. And so I understand what you're saying. I think there's a lot of value and people get very comfortable in their situation. I always – I've said this from the the first three years that I hunted. I didn't really know what I meant back then, but I know it now. Is like if you love your hunting spot, whoever's listening to this, if you love your hunting spot – don't fall too in love with it because mm-hmm. it's not going to last oh, forever. Yeah. Like if you can't adapt and move around and hunt new locations, you're not growing as a hunter first and foremost. And secondly, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment mm. because you just really need to adapt to be able to hunt in a couple different areas and know a couple different zones. Yes, that requires more gas money. That requires more personal time to go out there and do that. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that time. And they, I think what they're speaking of is what Matt's speaking of is these these nooks and these crannies that Matt has hunted. He's lived in Miles City for 17 years. The guy has credibility. I mean, he's been in Montana for quite a quite yeah. a number of years. He's not born and raised here, and, you know, Montanans are never going <laughs> to let him live by that. You know, you're never a Montana. Oh, yeah. Even though I've lived here for more Unless than half my life. Unless you were born like, in a oh, hospital no, here. You weren't born here. And I was like, uh, you know, whatever. Your parents chose to live here, and now you're born here, and so I guess you get to claim that. But the point is, is that he's been here long enough to have credibility, and he lives in a very rural part of Montana. And he's seen his areas change, that he got familiar with those, those the coolies, with those draws, with the way those antelope moved, with the way uh, the mule deer migrated through there or whatever, how they rut, where they rut, where they summer. I mean, he's watching that change and that he's speaking from, I think, that spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounds to me like the guy hunts around, but I think he's very familiar and very happy with where he lives for the last 17 years and hunts around there. And he's speaking from that perspective. Yeah. And he's speaking from in, when he when he quotes some of the people that he's talking about in there, um, people that are locals that are, are happy to drive a eight mile to the eight miles to the gallon truck, um, you know, 15 miles away and go on the experience they've had for the last 25 years. Yeah, they might have to drive a little further now for sure. Mm-hmm. And what they're upset about is that they're losing that um th- they're losing that good old that good old day. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think there's validation to that. I think that they they haven't adjusted with the times. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know some photographers that were oh, phenomenal film photographers, dude. Phenomenal. But when the digital world came in, they got smoked. <laughs> they didn't understand. They just didn't get it. And they never adapted to it. They were proud of their film. They wanted to charge yeah. for their film. And the price changed for photography. And they never adapted to digital photography. And they got 
they got passed up. They got smoked. And so in that regard, to make the parallel, is I think that that is kind of what is happening is if people aren't willing to adapt to these things and move forward, we can gripe and complain about them all you want. But I feel like right now hunting is on such a big locomotive that it's just no, there's no there's no 10 men, there's no 100 men, there's no 100,000 men that are going to stop this train really from rolling yeah. in this perspective of, hey, man, you're going to have to learn to adapt and kind of move around and do some other hunting. But I do empathize with the fact that some of these guys have been hunting for 20, 25, 30, 40 years, whoever, however long they've been hunting, but they're, they're familiar and they're happy and they're content with those. Mm-hmm. But are they growing as hunters? Maybe they don't want growth though. You know what I mean? You and I are always trying to like maybe – I know I am. I know. I'm always trying to push the boundaries. Yeah, you're just always trying to be a better hunter. Yeah, and I think uh, there's different mindsets, and every some people like routine. Some people like to go deep in one spot, and they don't want it to change. They like that they can build off previous knowledge. Other guys like to say, hey, I'm going to hunt a bunch of different places, and that's going to build my knowledge in a different way, and I like the challenge of going into a new spot, taking these 10 other hunts in 10 different places, trying to apply all these things and figure this out quick. And then, you know, there's pros and cons to it all. Take all these people and travel five cities with them yeah, and see where they eat. I guarantee you the guys that hunt the same stuff, they eat the same stuff that they can find locally around them. They might like Chinese food. They might like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Asian American food. <laughs> Chinese is fine. Ah, Chinese is it? I don't know anymore. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be See, polite you're to the world. Right well, I, I am. I am. Yeah. I'm trying to be adaptive. Doesn't always work out that way. But what I'm trying to say is, if you watch pe- people, are habitual. You know what I mean? And, and so what I'm saying is, like, if you travel these five cities with these ten select people, three of them are the kind of go-getters that are like you and I. They're just like, I'm going to adapt to the situation. I don't know what it looks like. It's almost like you don't. It's not that you don't need to go on a scouting trip. You already expect to improvise when you get there. Mm-hmm. So maybe you skip out on the scouting trip because you just don't have the time. But that scares the that scares the bejesus out of most people to go on a hunt and not go on a scouting trip. Oh, my God, I don't know where the roads are, this or that. Like, if you can't adapt on the road, yeah, I guess you need to go on a scouting trip. And if you didn't go on the scouting trip, you're probably going to eat the tag. Yeah. I know people do that. Um, what I'm saying is, like, you travel around these cities and you eat at these places, and you're going to watch those three people that adapt to hunting. They're going to go around and explore what's, you know, I'm going to try some. You go to New York, you might try not just like not just like a big slice of a New York style pizza, but you're going to go try some really really good Vietnamese food, or mm-hmm. you're going to go try some some crazy niche Italian place. Mm-hmm. And those other people are going to look for what they find in their own town. Yeah. What I'm saying is, people. Are are habitual for sure and if they can break that mold i think what you're saying is that you will have the opportunities that you're looking for if you can break that mold i want to be the wolf that's just he's gonna adapt you are or a else wolf. he's gonna die you are a wolf <laughs> you're a bald wolf i'm a bald ass wolf i'm only getting balder <laughs> it's all uh, good man you got nothing to lose right literally Nothing. Well, I got a little bit left <laughs> yeah. to lose, but not a lot. When are you just going to shave it, though, dude? Just, oh, just soon. Yeah, it's coming. Throw the bick on yeah, it. I know, you look dude. good with it. Go to get a beard going. Yeah, I don't know if I like the beard vibe all the time. You, you get stuff in it. Yeah, you change things you know? a lot. You Your get, facial hair changes you daily. Get, I like it because then people don't recognize me as much. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I think don't take yourself too seriously. Good. No one recognizes you anyways. <laughs> uh, one point, though, for new photographers and content creators and i see this all the time is like even with technology and more and more people understanding what's 
being able to be gleaned from photos and video as far as information and locations. I still see guys unknowingly giving out free, here's where I went and killed this deer. Here's where I went and killed this elk. And that, to me, is what does more harm than how people want to have a personality on Instagram. Because people just want the easy route. And when you give them the easy route, they're going to take it. And then it's only yourself to be pissed off when people are there. Like, you know, I think that I've thought about it a lot and do a pretty good job of not showing the locations where I go. I spend a shitload of time to try to hunt really hard on public land over the counter tags and find spots and get good content. I don't want to freaking hamstring myself, let alone anyone else. Sure. And inherently, if, if you've been to the spots that I hunt, you might recognize some things because you've been to the spots that I yeah, hunt. That's how I feel about filming. But I'm not giving you a freebie of I had zero idea where you're at, and now I know exactly where you're at. That's yes. That's a fucking yes. Don't do that. Yes. You might you're gonna do it at some point, but when you figure it out, like don't do that. If you're going in to film something of public land that anyone else can access, I mean, there's always like okay, that peak is super recognizable. It's the highest one in the mountain range. We're not gonna film that. And if you do film it, you just cut it out of it. Yeah. But you make that particular point not visible mm-hmm. and every film shoot that i've been on i've i've been super type a ocd about that and um fortunately the guys that i worked with have all been like on board with it most of the times it's been my spot so i'm like listen mm-hmm. these are the points of reference that i don't want filmed other than that it looks like the mountains if someone recognizes that in a film when they're here or while i'm here and they watch that and they're like oh dude he's blowing up blah 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 you've been there you know the location so, yeah, it does look recognizable yeah. to you. But watch 20 films on hunting and tell me where those people where you haven't been, where exactly and what draw or drainage are they in. You've never been there, so you don't recognize that. You mm-hmm. might recognize the state. You might recognize the vegetation. But what has that got to do with you knowing that they're blowing up a spot? You can show a film. You can tell a story by not highlighting those specifics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's ultimately the point, you know, I, I've been, I've gone, I've done this run around with, um, I did this run around with Matthews last year. I was like, man, you know, we did a backcountry mule deer hunt. It's like, do we have to recognize the state? Like wh- why? Yeah. We're just going on a backcountry hunt, whether it's Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, um, parts of New Mexico, whether we're going on a backcountry hunt in the desert in Arizona, like Nevada, where does, it, really what doesn't does matter. it matter? Yeah, it doesn't. What we're trying to tell you is a story about how hard it is to go into a backcountry spot and try to kill a deer on public land with other pressure around you. Like, that's really what we're trying to tell. At the end of the day, I lost that battle, but I did, like, event to them that, you know, it's important that we don't highlight the spot yeah. Yeah. and to protect the people that were there. And we ended up running into a couple young kids that were like, dude, are you going to blow this spot up? And I remember sure. like looking at the tears in their eyes. I'm like, listen, I want you to, you've never met me before. You don't know anything about me. I want you to trust me. I would never do that to you. I would never do that to the hunting community. I wouldn't want anyone to do that to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. really, really important is that people take that in perspective. And is if you're not showing those big places and those big, like those, th- there's just, there's hot spots that you can say that that is very recognizable. Someone knows that. But if someone comes up and gives you gri- you know, grief about that and they're griping about, you know, dude, you're blowing that spot up. No, you know that spot. I know that spot. 
But outside of that, if we don't talk to anybody about it, no one else is going to know that spot. And yeah. if they find it, good on them because it's public land and everyone deserves to go there. Other little takeaways too, like people will recognize vehicles. They'll see you at trailheads. Anytime I go in the field, there is never an instantaneous upload. Like when I shot my bull, I didn't put anything online for seven to ten days. Yep. Because all it takes is, hey, I saw Zach's truck at X trailhead, and the next day he posted that he killed a really big bull. I know where he, he shot that bull because I saw his truck, and then that one guy goes to the bar, and he says, hey, I saw Zach Bowden. You think that happens that much? Oh, fuck yeah. I know, I, I, know, I know that you are more like a ghost rider, well, fly got, under the radar. I have 16 vehicles. I've went from Montana Wild, very much like public perception. People recognize you in Costco, fucking wherever. I don't switch vehicles all the time. People definitely, like just this year, I had multiple people recognize my vehicle, left me notes. Fortunately, there are people that I generally liked or you had interacted. You need to give yourself a $1,500 Subaru. I know, Okay. But I'm just saying you it's need a to point. Put on- that. You need to put on some like mom stickers or like I love dinosaurs on the back and like you're just like geologist and then like you leave out like like a like you put out your uh, what's what's the thing they use it um the the tripod that they use to paint pictures what are they called oh an easel an easel yeah. so you get an easel outside and you just bolt it to the ground so this guy's out there painting pictures and he loves dinosaurs Zach you need to get yourself a cognito like a Superman cape that's what you need no you need the you need the Clark Kent. No, you need the suit. I don't need that. Because you're no. Superman. No. But you need, you need to look like the businessman. <laughs> Not no, you need another vehicle. You and I do. I'm going to get Steven another Drake vehicle before. Steven Drake has had this situation. Oh, for sure. He's had these situations. 100%. He spoke to me about it. And, yeah, you both need to. You're at a point where you I know need your to vehicle. Invest. I know a lot of people's vehicles in oh, this dude, town. I've gotten recognized for sure where I go. 100%. The point is, is be thoughtful about how much information you easily gleaned other people. Because yeah. there are very easy ways to make it much more difficult for people to know exactly what you're doing and sure. where you did it, how you did it. Sure. And you're going to get burned on spots, and it's just get the, less, the less we vehicle. give to people, the more they understand that it's not about going where you saw somebody else have success. It's more about the challenge and the experience of you picking a spot on the map and going there and figuring out the pieces of the puzzle and having success. Like, that's what hunting is. Like, that is the beauty of it. Not, oh, there's big animals here because I saw freaking so-and-so shoot one and I'm going to go there and get one. Like, that is fucking, hunting sucks when it's like that. Toyota Corolla. Corolla. Jacked up. <laughs> Ten-ply tires. <laughs> Drab. Or no, no, bright red. With like. Oh, yeah. We put like uh, I'm just trying to think of like a, like a coexist sticker and yeah, <laughs> like nothing like just music related stickers on there. Yeah, just put sure. like uh, you know, like some like Led Zeppelin stickers Fucking on Tom there. Petty and put put a pot leaf on there. Like you don't you you're incognito, dude. That's your Superman. You need to get some Superman kit. I got Superman you and Drake need new vehicles. Oh, I got he got it. He got you a new this vehicle that people don't know about yet. Oh. Or he hasn't shown a whole lot. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and to to the to the credit of what I, what you're speaking of that we're not going to speak of that we're not. Gonna it doesn't even matter the point how popular or recognizable you are. The point is, is that all it takes is one person, one wrong person knowing that it's you that you shot this animal there, and then blabbing 
I'm sure you've heard it from a significant other. Someone gives up some details about where their boyfriend was hunting, and you just immediately boom, boom, know exactly where that was. But what is it and, about? And you are not going to leverage that information for your own personal gain, but you could have. But what is it about mankind that has to have recognition from people that are complete strangers? And that's what's going back to Matt. What Matt's saying is like, why do we need affirmation from complete strangers? At where the end of the are we day, trying to Zach, get affirmation? What there? you have in your house? These beautiful. I'm sitting right underneath Zach's bowls. And his bulls there, <laughs> sitting right underneath your beautiful bulls, and, and I'm looking over. He's Couple got, beautiful he's got, bulls. He's got they're medium small bulls. You got a mountain goat. They'd sitting, be way bigger. Be full Brett's body. House. He's just got a European. <laughs> he just went the cheap route. And then he's got a couple bear skulls. Got antelopes. Beautiful in this house, right? <laughs> Zach, let me let me give you like, you ready for this tidbit? No one gives a shit about these animals in this house, but oh, you. Oh yeah, for and sure. And the first and foremost thing is that you. Have a story about these. If I ask you, you're going to tell me, you could tell me a 20-minute story about every single head in this house. And you probably could tell me a couple different recipes that you thought were bomb, that you, and then a bunch of them that you wouldn't recommend, but of the game that you ate out of this house. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no one gives a shit about what's in your house. So why do people care about the affirmation that they get from getting likes online? Why? Oh, just because it's... I mean, it's just naturally people like being liked. Sure. Like that's that's it. But is it, I don't know, is it? I mean, I understand why I do it. I don't the, do from, it. Like from either if, their families or their friends or. Like if I wanted to get likes, like I would saying, post every post, goddamn but day. I'd be saying, posting twice a day. I'd be fucking. I'm not you know, saying, like, and this is where I disagree with Matt, is like I don't think necessarily posting um, something that you're proud of, that being a dead animal on your Instagram is. I don't think that I think you can do translates that translates you as a shitty reasons. person. Oh, for sure. 100%. You could say, I worked really hard at this, and I'm really proud of it, and this is what happened this fall. Like, if all the th- shitty things that have happened that I don't want to talk about on Instagram or talk about with p- complete strangers, I want to let you guys know that, like, I've had a really happy moment in my life that I'm very proud of, and they post that. Whether that, what he refers to as kitchen remodels or <laughs> if that's uh, – you know, some soccer trophy or whatever. Like, if people are happy about that and they're looking for some kind of affirmation from strangers to make them feel better personally for that moment in time, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's when people monetize that and when people push so hard on that button that you start to watch what he speaks of is guys shooting or gals shooting three, four elk in a year. I mean, how much meat do you need, dude? How much yeah, do you that's, need? Yeah, that's, that's, I how feel like that's need? a pretty easy. How many states of elk? How many states do you need to hunt? How many animals do you need to kill a year to feel fulfilled? Or are you doing it for a different purpose? Because we all know that you can't, dude. Come on. I mean, Allie and I killed. We killed two bulls last year. That was cumbersome to get through all that, and we did. We got through it. In fact, she shot a bull this year, so we have one elk and we have a mountain goat. And got that beast fuel. Dude, got that beast fuel. That's what Zach was calling it the whole time. He's just screaming beast fuel on the mountain. It was awesome. But, and I've been feeding her that, and that's feeding my baby boy. He's going to mm-hmm. come out with a beard, dude. This kid's going to be no a lumberjack. Shit, dude. He's, He's already hung. Six foot, son. Pretty deep. Dude. <laughs> Two inches wide, but three feet deep. <laughs> <laughs> Not my kid. That's where I'm going to start to wonder. Um, uh, no, but it, like, the, the point is, is like, and Allie, my wife has been, she's brought so much insight to me in my life over that. Uh, there was years ago that she had a mule deer tag left. We had killed uh, an antelope. We had an elk. She had her elk tag. 
and it wasn't going to happen. It was like last. It was like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let's go. Let's go mule deer hunting. They're, they're you know running hard right now. Let's go. I got a spot. She's like, but why? Like we have an antelope, an elk, and a mule deer. And I think I want to say that the year I hunted home at home in Illinois. So we might have had a whitetail too. We had a lot of meat, and she is right. We did. And I still wanted to go. Like I mean, we're gonna pull like maybe net sixty pounds off this mule deer. At the end of the day, grinding it, trimming it, everything, net, maybe 60, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but she made a good point of, like, do we need it, though? Yeah. And that was not one of the first – it wasn't the first time, but it was – this is the person that I sleep next to, and I, this is my best friend. Like, I'm trying to, like, understand her point of view. And I remember catching myself, like, deep down in, like, my gut. You know what I mean? Like, my brain's thinking logical. My heart's thinking, like, I just love hunting. And then my gut's like, no, she's right. We don't need any more meat. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth, is that it took us all year to get through that anyways. And so that's, you know, what Matt's bringing up. He made up a great point about that. Do people need to do these – do some of these influencers need to go and hunt three or four states? Oh, yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think people definitely just – shoot stuff to be recognized as killers which is entirely in my opinion the wrong reason to hunt but who gives and, a and, shit and who really gives a shit zach nobody gives a shit they think that it's a it's a that's it's a, a sell it's a personal thing of that's their way of getting like they they thrive they need the recognition to feel good about themselves Man, that's like sounds, you and I feel like, like we have the, it. We we do it for the that right reasons. That sounds like a terrible insecurity. For sure, it is an insecurity. That sounds like the, the worst of insecurities. I think that like the problem that's like is saying is, like, I got married because I was getting older and I just yeah, needed yeah. to get married. For sure, like hundred percent. And then you get freaking stuck in the. And then you got a wife, and then you had two kids, and then your job that you hate, you can't afford to quit because now you got a wife and two kids. You know, like, yeah, it puts you down. Well, a statistically, path. you're talking about 100% of 60% of divorces. I mean, yeah. or I mean, 100% <laughs> 60% of, of, of 100 the 60% then divide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the math uh, I was trying to get at. I know. The thing is, is like, I'll say stuff like that and be like, you know what I was trying to say. And that's all that's everybody. Important. Everybody listening <laughs> knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I know that you. I, I know that I you disagreed hunt, with with some of Matt. I think it's said, okay. To what you be, said was Matt was being a little whiny. He he is. I think at the very end he says something about uh, don't post in 2022 and you'll get past your toddler recognition phase, which which I totally disagree. I feel like it's a it, I guess I've lived in a world of like my dad was pretty judgmental in a lot of ways growing up and he would just like make these bold statements that if you believe one thing you're in this box and I feel like he's he's making that point that if you're on social media posting your kills and posting your experience you're in a box I know if he was sitting here he wouldn't he wouldn't say that but the problem is is he's saying that right there and I think a big problem too is that we don't hold our friends account. A lot of people don't hold our friends accountable, and I, I do. Like I have a good friend of mine who's the guy that will go shoot three deer in a year that are deer that are just medium, medium bucks because he wants to be perceived on Instagram as a dude that goes and fills his tags and kills shit every year. 
because his perception of being a good hunter is other people recognizing he's a good hunter. But that's Not knowing it is 100%. It's 100% an insecurity. I'm but, just getting at the but, fact but, that, but, like, but sometimes what, what those Matt's people don't. What up is that those insecurities are making an impact on all of our experiences. No doubt. But my point is, like, people will let that slide. Where I've told this person many times, oh, what would you do? Need to fill that tag again? Like, why did you, like, why did you shoot this buck? Did you need the meat? Like, if your friends give you shit about stuff, you have to introspectively think about like, yeah, why did I kill that deer versus congratulating them and being soft and not being able to tell your friend the truth of how you feel. Like, sure. We need to get to a point where we call people on their bullshit. Sure. And that, cause there's not enough of it and it doesn't have I, to be online. It doesn't have to be in social, but in a personal one-on-one sure. -on -one setting, yo, why? Like, sure. I'm curious, why did you have to do this? Because here's how I perceive it. Sure. Sure. Well, I mean. There's a lot of different dynamics. I think people it, tend to hang out with people that are like-minded, mm -hmm. right? And so these groups are like groups upon groups upon groups that feel the same way. Yeah. And the people like you and I have these conversations with each other, we feel the same way about it. That's why we get along. That's why we hunt together. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, we go and experience this ex exact thing because we have the same mindset i look at it as like the uh, the hunt we had on your mountain goat hunt this year even though i was there shooting content i only gleaned positives from that entire experience in any content that gets released in any capacity in any regard from that like i don't have a single negative takeaway from anything we did there no. And why can't more like so that's like my motivation to like inspire more people to go do what we just did. But I think that comes with time. And you could you could from a different experience. Yeah, I yeah. think that comes with Will Primo said it a long time ago. I think he said it on that um sick of film with uh what was it called? The linguist. The linguist. Yes. He had some great lines in that. Yeah. And the way that they constructed that film, Ben For sure. did a phenomenal job of he putting did. that together. Yep. Hats out you know, big shout out to Ben. He's the man. Ben Potter. But, yeah. <laughs> and so when he put that together and, and they had this, I think that I want to say it was that film had this line where um, Corey is sitting with Will Primos at a diner in Louisiana mm -hmm. or Mississippi, Mississippi. Sorry, Louisiana. He's going to be offended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they're, they're sitting there and, he, and Will Primos said this line that I'll never forget. He's like, you have to teach someone to love, uh, love something before they'll protect it. Mm -hmm. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, are people falling in love with hunting or are they falling in love with the attention they get when they go hunting? Yeah. And if that's the case scenario, are they ever going to get to a point of protecting it? I don't know that. And I worry about that as I, you know, I have a, I have a like I said, a baby boy coming here and I, I want him to have a, a good wholesome experience with elk hunting, but I'm not going to hand it on a silver platter to that kid. Hell yeah, no. so this, that was a point that I wanted to make is that I think a lot of the mentalities of young people that are on social media portraying hunting and doing it in ways that we would say are not positive to the sport, I think you could correlate it back to poor parenting and parents wanting to receive recognition via their child. And I see it all the time. Sure. They, they tee up their kids because – they want the recognition of, hey, look at the book my son killed. And then what they're teaching their kid is that recognition as a hunter comes through the size of the antlers. 
and not anything to do with the experience and the work. And we're yes. just training the next generation. Yes. And I, I, it, I mean, I always say like, if I had a kid, I would like, I would take them on some hunts to teach them. And then I'd be like, you can figure it out. Like, fuck, you're not getting all my spots. Like, I'm not taking you to the fucking 15 years of elk experience <laughs> spot that I figured out. Like, it's right. not about the trophy at the end of the day. It's literally about the journey to get there and understanding all these different pieces of the puzzle. And I feel like parents nowadays having social media and recognition from other people, they just want to live vicariously through their kid and immediately take them to where they're at in their progression versus looking at their kid as like another, like it's a new hunting journey that you're trying to like push in a good, like solid direction. Yeah. And there's a lot of correlations to hunting that I think you can rub off on life. That's the, I think the beauty of it is my dad's a, he's all about analogies. And so my whole life, because I love hunting he's always used some kind of analogy from hunting to relate it to any struggles I've had. And I think you learn a lot about, um, all sorts of things, man. Self-reliance, uh, and that's what Matt's talking about, self-reliance. You, th you learn about patience. You learn about um, fortitude, about uh, perseverance. You learn about all these things through struggling through this, not mm -hmm. necessarily getting that 180-inch buck, but, like, the, the quest to get it in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, Michael, like I've never shot a whitetail, and I, I have a beautiful property that my parents raised me on. That has has had huge whitetails in Illinois. I grew up in a bow hunting only county. They die of car accidents, and I've never broke 155. And is it about breaking 155, or is it about is it about just going out there and having a nostalgic experience? Mm -hmm. I could tell you five years ago it was about breaking 155. For damn sure it was about breaking 155. But as time has gone on, even though I've been hunting for 27 years, like I, I, 22 years of it, I didn't recognize that, Zach. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying is like it takes time. And unfortunately, with this new generation of hunters that are coming into the fold, I think they all will eventually recognize it. But what will be destroyed in the meantime? And I think I'm always going to – I'm looking at what Matt said in a positive light because honestly for the people that I asked about this and these are people that don't have it, like very big followings on Instagram or don't they feel like you and I do about this kind of stuff but they said it when they read it it was like reading a breath of fresh air that's mm -hmm. the best way I heard it described and when they read it they understand that what they fell in love with is starting to dwindle and they're worried about that and I think at the end of the day take away the whininess of Matt of what you're saying is whiny, I see it differently, but I think he's he's trying to portray that. He's trying to in incentivize thought. You know what I mean? He's trying to like he might try to piss you off or like oh, what 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 are you trying to say? You know, you put your name on the list or whatever. If you click the here in here, you'll. See I haven't even. I want to go look at the list. Uh, I don't know if you're on it or not. I don't Good. Know I it. hope I'm not. I don't know if you're on it. I'm or not, not influential enough. I need to up my game. I probably yeah. need to make a post after this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a double-edged sword though because if you look at if you look i mean yes more influence into hunting there's a lot of negative takeaways but there's also the positive of like you do need a voice for hunting the larger the voice the better in certain regards that's going to come with negatives i mean if you look at canada 
Vancouver's this massive liberal hub that votes to eradicate hunting. Do you think social media had anything to do with the grizzly ban? Absolutely 100% had something to do with that. Yeah, from propaganda on their side of it. But what they don't understand media. is that I don't this think is that an hunters, animal that needs I don't to think be... that hunters shot themselves in the foot by any means. I think it was literally just a numbers. It's a numbers game. So there's not enough grizzly bears in in No, British I'm saying Columbia? a numbers game of enough people that are indoctrinated into a mindset that this is a bad thing. Yeah. Versus the number of people that are under the mindset of grizzly bear hunting is actually a really good thing for the population. I mean, to what you're just saying, I mean, if you do a quick scan through the hashtag bow hunting or archery or not archery, hashtag hunting, uh, hunting photos. I mean, what Matt says in this is like, go to take a take a non hunter's perspective and scan through hunting, mm-hmm. and you're gonna see some pretty ugly shit that you don't no like, doubt. you don't agree with, and so. That's what I'm like. Absolutely. You're a one. You hit the nail on the head right there. Absolutely. If you're trying to get non-hunters to believe that hunting is an ethical thing, that it's appropriate. Oh, yeah. That, that, that's a minute, dude. It's not it's not a sustenance thing anymore. OK, like no, it's not. we're throwing out one third of the beef and, and poultry and pork that is in the supermarket today. Oh, yeah. One third of it's going to go as soon as it hits that expiration date, which people are like, oh, my God, it's, you know, it was expired ah, on the 13th, the, the, and the I'm on the 14th. says that it's gone. Uh, it's gone. Like, like I love pulling milk out, and so, it's like 14 days past. You just sniff it. Oh, it's fine. Dude, I mean, are you going to live? Yeah, you're yeah. going to live. Okay. I don't know when last case of salmonella with milk is. Maybe it's actually pretty recent. I got salmonella as a kid. I got like 2500 bucks out of that. That probably yeah. was not Grocery fun. Salmonella is not my, my sister and I almost died from it. Yeah. But the point is, is like, um, you know, it's not a sustenance thing anymore, right? Mm-hmm. This is a novelty experience for us to have. And it is a privilege. I've heard mm-hmm. people call it a right bullshit. It's definitely it's a, privilege. a privilege, dude. Yeah. You're privileged to be in this United States of America where we're allowed to go and hunt our 50 states. Mm-hmm. You are absolutely underprivileged. This is not a right. It's a right to bear arms. It's not a right to use the arms to kill an animal. That's a privilege. And it states nowhere in our Constitution that killing animals is for sustenance or for novelty or for whatever you want to call it is our God-given right as Americans. Bullshit. It is our privilege. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we have to protect that. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this is not a sustenance thing. We're not feeding our families. We're not feeding our mouths. We are are doing that through the process of it. But – at the end of the day, we're not like uh, – some people are relying on it. Some people aren't relying on it. That's why you should be thoughtful about it because it is a privilege. If it was a right, then you could say fucking portray it however you want. Yeah, totally. No one's going to take it It's a privilege, so you should be thoughtful about how you portray the fact that we have a privilege 100%. that we don't want to get rid of. 100%. I totally agree with you on that one. Absolutely. I agree with you on on we, we agree. We agree on most things. There's just a lot of different ways to view it. And it's a complicated thing. And I think the whole point of the conversation was be thoughtful about yeah. your motivations for why you create content. What is it you're trying to communicate to people? Why are you trying to communicate it? And are you doing it for the right reasons? Because the only reason you should be hunting or shooting content is that it brings some level of happiness and and fulfillment to yourself and other people. Yep. Yeah. I mean, is there anything in life that you do that shouldn't bring happiness and fulfillment to not only you but other people? 
I mean, I can't really think of anything. Yeah. I don't know. So. It's a crazy moment in, in hunting, you know. You, you always say, like, oh, it's going to be Europe one day. You know, we're all going to – it's going to be King's Deer one day. But, dude, in some regards, it kind of – it's upon us in a way. Oh, for know? sure. And it's it's uh, it's nerve-wracking. It's nerve-wracking. I don't want to have my – you know, whether my son shoots a 250 bull or shoots his first 320-inch bull, I don't want it to come down to money. Mm-hmm. I've had that experience before. I've gotten to go out on that King Ranch in Texas. It was awesome. I had a great fishing client that invited me on a beautiful hunt. And, like, it was a canned experience. And at the end of the day, I didn't mean to offend him, but I think I did when I said, I don't want to shoot a whitetail here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know that you're allowing this deer that you've been watching on trail cameras for, you know, what looks like five or six years. And he's not a deer you really want to, you know, you just want him out of the gene pool. I mean, at the end of the day, when Zach Bouton comes over to my house, is like, tell me that whitetail story. What's this one? Tell me well, that story. Well, down, sitting in the blind, raised blind over. Well, he put down. the corn out at 20 <laughs> yards, and, like, the buck was, like, literally in the mesquite trees 40 yards away, kind of, like, peeking around the corner, like, when's he? When's the, when's the Jeep going to leave? And then in comes this. So we went hunting for Neil Maybe Guy. Maybe it could be. It's, it could still be a good story. Dude, we went bow hunting for Neil Guy, and he's like, it can't be done. I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> You're Rachel Laundrin. You're telling me it can't be done, son. I'm doing it. And I did it. I killed one with a bow. And he was like, I don't know. He, he liked to, I think he was just talking me up. But he's like, first time in history on the ranch. I don't know. It, it wasn't the first time on the King Ranch for sure. And it, I guarantee it wasn't the first time on his. But the point is, is that I wanted to go hunting for, I wanted a free range hunt. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's the draw, right? Mm-hmm. Like how good are you at this? And also how ethical are you? You know, like, can you can you, can you you not draw the bow? A lot of people have a hard time with that, man. Mm-hmm. Can you say, no, I'm not going to draw the bow because that's just not – it's not right. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, I think – you. I don't know about you, man, but, like, the killing part of me, like, it gets harder. It's getting harder and harder and harder. When it goes down clean, it's a beautiful thing. But those – that is not what I find is successful in hunting now. I You know, I do find the ultimate experience of – killing something cleanly like our the mountain goat that was a i wish i wish i didn't let for people that are listening i didn't let zach come with me at the final stalk because i was freaked out about it blowing up and you know weather was an essence to it timing was an essence like we had this nine ten day trip planned out we're on day five of it you know like zach's got to go on day seven and then maybe i'm going to stick around there alone for a while in bear country have a buddy come in but then it's not the same crew that you started the hunt off with, so it becomes a cold, completely different hunt when someone else shows up. And the point is, is that I was like, man, I just, I, if it comes down to it, I think if you can respect me on this, like just mm-hmm. I need to finish it alone. And he's like, yeah, absolutely, it's your hunt. And um, I wish he was there though, because it went down beautifully and it was clean, it was beautiful. But it's not, it's not a. I don't get off on that anymore. I don't like look at the blood trail and go, oh my god, look at the red carpet to my animal. Never been. It's not. It's not about that. You know, it's about just having that experience that we had on the mountain. In fact, I think the night before, two nights before, when we almost killed him, that was just as a beautiful moment as Mm -hmm. as actually killing it. You know, Um, it was it was it was exceptional. We had twenty years for that tag. I was pumped to have it. What an opportunity. I don't know if I'm going to put it in for him again. I'm, I'm kind of on the fence on that. I don't. I, I. I don't know if people deserve 
two opportunities when someone else is waiting for the first. I mean, if I could you stand could look, I think you could look at it from the perspective though of if I was a mountain goat, who would I want to come hunt me? That and there are people that will draw that tag that could give two shits about learning the mountain and learning the intricacies of the mountain goat and learning and having that experience. The fact that you took it upon yourself to go bow hunt. And we talked about it on your hunt. Like they're right there. You want to get your thing or do you want to hunt mountain goats? Yeah. And you said, I want to hunt mountain goats. Yep. And you had that deep experience. So I, I would say that putting in would almost do the mountain goats a service of you're another participant that's going to do it in a way that elevates what a mountain goat is and appreciates them. Compared to potentially someone else that doesn't. It's a and, legit, it's a legit argument. And it's, this is the way the system's structured, and you should be willing to take advantage of that in full. I know I'm going to put in again as soon as I can, but I would also respect your opinion if you decided, hey, I think this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and I'm not going to. I feel like when I filmed that Ibex hunt in New Mexico... I mean, it was a cool story, right? We had the tag twice in one year. Mm -hmm. Buck had gone with me. It was a man with three kids at home. Was, I mean, his whole family is pretty much on this hunt as well because yeah. Jenny's taking care of three rambunctious little kids. Um, but, like, I feel like that might have changed the amount of people that apply for that tag. Mm -hmm. And I felt a, quite a bit of guilt over that, you know, like – Man, what a cool story to tell people, but at the same time, is this doing this hunt a, a, a good thing? You know, is it a, is a, is it doing I think a good isn't justice? Isn't the objective down there to keep the numbers in check, though? I mean, if you looked at it from strictly a management perspective, do we care? Oh, I don't Do, know. You know what I mean? Like, the goal for this population is to keep it at a set number. Do we care if 1,000 or 10,000 people put in? Yeah. It's hunting is such a complicated endeavor. I, I know some people <laughs> that have been putting in for the tag for a long time and never drawn it. And yeah. I didn't mean, I, I, if they're listening to this, it was not my intention to make that a harder draw. Mm -hmm. It was more of an intention to tell you in a, a story about something for that sure. I felt I didn't know if I could do or not. And I really wanted to do it. You know, like I had never hunted an Ibex before that hunt ever. Yeah. And then I have this amazing in my dude, that thing was that, that animal was paramount to me. Yeah. Um, that's the last animal that I haven't cleanly killed. And I took my bow hunting to another level because of it. Yeah. Uh, everything from how I sharpen my broadheads to make sure that they're tack like ridic ridiculously sharp, right down to how powerful my bow is, how fast my bow is, whether I need more um, foot pounds up front, heavier arrow, whatever. I mean, I just I took it to another level as far as how I'm approaching shooting at something. Um, because that first hunt, I you know I missed quite a few shots. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my opportunity, like the, the, the willpower was there, yeah. but it, it was, it was, came down to archery Yeah, and that was where it, it completely changed me as a person. And I, at the time I felt powerful, but I don't know if I'd do it again. I don't know if I would have told that story now. Worrying yeah. about potentially, I, I think you can inspire people in a powerful way. I'm tr I'm trying not to be negative about it. I really am. I'm trying to see the other side of it of the people that I did inspire in a positive way that mm -hmm. do want to take that 
they want to step themselves up and put themselves in a new perspective. I would argue that regardless of if you did it or not, there's always going to be someone that would say, I wish I could have drawn that tag. Yeah. True. 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 Like, so, I think it's more inspiring. It wasn't the first the people. story told about it. I think it. it's more inspiring and influential for people to see that you went and had an honest hunt by an individual who was willing to put in the effort to take his craft seriously, to be, like, very emotionally invested in the hunt, the animal, yep. the process. And that was the intention. And that, of it. that, to me, is a greater influence than the fact that some dudes have a harder time to have a chance at this privilege. Right. Because there's there's a million other hunts that they can still go participate in. Right. It's a bummer that the odds go down or up, but the thing is, is like everything's going to fluctuate. Like that hunt, the odds are going to go down dramatically and people are going to stop applying and then they're going to go back up. It's just like hunting spots. They get really good and the word inevitably gets out and a bunch of people go there. Yep. And then it slowly declines, and the pressure is now here, isn't there, and now these other spots, and it's just kind of like this bouncing around effect. Yep. And you, ad if you adapt with that, you have a mm -hmm. you have the experience that you're always looking for. And, and um, I feel like that's the the core premise of a hunter. I mean, the Indians, I'm sure, had their places that they know they could go hunt, but I'm sure they were not one dimensional in their hunting. Back in the day when they roamed the prairies and everything. I mean, I'm sure there was a bazillion buffalo, but like. When sustenance is of the utmost importance of it, like I, they have to adapt yeah. or they die. In our case scenario, we're just spoiled brats. For sure. That are generational. And at this point, we're like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't <laughs> hunt this one. Like, I can't hunt my favorite candy anymore. Yeah, it changed. It, it definitely changed. So you're going to have to challenge yourself and go somewhere else for it. So. Yeah, I understand that point of view, absolutely. And on the side of like, I mean, I know that you have this this um, you have this class that you teach people how to mm -hmm. be good, you know, to basically help them be hunting photographers in, a, in, in, in the right light. And I think that's, at first I was wondering, like, what are the intentions here? Is it to sell classes or is it, is it to really teach these people? And as I get to know you more and more, I know that you and Steven are, and I know Steven pretty well, and I know he's a good, honest person. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, your intention is to help teach these folks how to like, you got to do this right. And you got to hold, mm -hmm. you know, true to your values and, and also to what people, what you're charging. Yeah. You know what I mean? Are you for trading sure. for gear? Not a good idea. Yeah. You know when I became a professional photographer? When I started saying no. Do you know how many conversations I've had with students and non-students that don't know how to price stuff? And I'm literally like, call me and we have a 45-minute conversation on how you should view and approach. Because I remember when we first started, I Smith Optics wanted to buy some images for um, some advertisements. God, I forget who I called or got in touch with some other fly fishing photographer that I respected helped me price it out. And I just always appreciated his willingness to help us because, and I'm sure you've seen it too. When we got into the hunting space, it was cutthroat. Any, anytime you got ahead, your mentors gone. Yep. They didn't want to help you out. Yep. And I hated that. Yep. Like you said, experience is the best teacher, but you can also learn things and take things from a mentor that, that shorten your learning curve. Yep. You're still going to have to screw some shit up and learn some stuff on your own. 
but you can get way ahead on a lot of the bullshit. Yep. By just people willing to help. And because, I feel like well, the when, cut, when I the got the cutthroatness in, is coming from them basically the mentors walking away from them and then now you have this apprentice saying well, shit, if you're doing it for $2,000 a day, I'll do it for 1000 a day. The problem with that mentality is that, like, they, if you truly appreciate, like, if you don't appreciate competition, you're definitely not trying to be your best. Sure. Because you should appreciate competition. Oh, absolutely. Because competition keeps your edge. 100%. And those guys viewed competition as... It also keeps the demand. For sure. Absolutely. So I always... I always appreciated competition. I I never like I'm willing to help anybody out. I like competition. I mean, I'm my own worst critic and obviously that you kind of have to um understand your competitive nature because sometimes that comes through in how you communicate with people. Yeah. Of a comparison, which sometimes isn't the best way to like help and motivate other people to be like well here's what i did what did you do (laughs) you know which is the kind of that competitiveness coming through you of like you got to gauge yourself to other people to to, to understand where you're at but sometimes that's not the best way to be like here's how i'm going to help you get better here's what i did do you see how you're way below this level like that's totally that's a bad way to use competition 100 percent you know so you have to be able to like recognize that within yourself and it's pretty interesting because obviously i have the class with drake and we help a bunch of people but also at stone glacier i have to manage you know a handful of photographers and my goal and my job should be to have a relationship with those guys and any relationship should hopefully be growing and getting better over time you know it shouldn't be stagnant Sure. And so how do I find ways to, like, everybody that we work with, I think, has equal potential and skills and abilities as me. I have to try to assess where they're at and how can I help them both become better at their craft, not only for Stone Glacier, but just in general. So it's been pretty cool to be in that position. You learn a lot about yourself in the process. Sure. Because a lot of who you are and how you communicate with those people really dictates whether you were able to connect with them and get them to understand that, like, I see a lot of potential in you or, like, here are the little things that I think I can impart to you. And it's up to you to take them or not. Your success is not dictated by me. I'm just hopefully helping you recognize what you needed to do to be better. Right. So. Right. It's cool. It, it is cool. I mean, it's awesome to help people. I mean, you know that as well as I do, but it's been pretty awesome to continue to, in an indirect way, like come back and work with people that I worked with a long time ago. You know, Sam Averett, like he emailed us at Montana Wild way back in the day when he took fucking zero photos. And like, I remember the email vividly of, I, didn't want to respond but the fact that he was out bear hunting i was like ah that's dope and i like took the time to give him some feedback send me some more photos averitt's ability is no way correlated to anything i did for him but i helped him build the confidence to like move forward and a 
good direction. And so it's cool to see him like as one of our top photographers at Stone Glacier eight years, seven, eight years later. And like Calvin Connor like worked with us and was an intern for us way back in the day in Missoula, like works for us at Stone Glacier. And like, that was not my doing. It just came full circle of like, we work together. We still have a great relationship with these guys. Like Keith Ailes was one of our, you know, interns back in the day. And he worked on border bulls with us, you know, which is like a full circle thing again. Like it's cool to help people. Like just because you help someone doesn't mean that that reduces your piece of the pie, which was always the mentality that I hated the most. Like when we got into hunting industry, it felt like such a like pure sport that you thought that like everybody that like was a hunter was like a good person and then you get into the business side when you're like it's as cutthroat as any other business yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so i have seen i have seen you know fluctuating wages with photography change over time yeah for sure and you can say that you know one person just says no to anything under five thousand dollars a day for a day wage he might only do one gig a year Mm -hmm. and that's his gig but i think what i'm seeing is like there's a lot more competition Mm -hmm. with a lot of people that want to go out and shoot photos regardless of what their background is financially i mean in some cases i think some people don't need the income they're looking for just some kind of identity that they want to you know potentially pursue photography and yeah, this is what they do. You s- and I've seen that price f- reflected in what they charge. And that, at the end of the day, for guys, in my case scenario, I'm trying to keep my, you know, pay my fair share of the of the bills that we have at our house. I'm trying to make a living doing this. Mm-hmm. So, and as time goes on, I don't want to be paid less. Like, are you, or yeah. even, I don't even want to compete with, like, people that are being paid less. And I got, you know, I was... I learned from the very beginning, like you want to be the deal guy, the budget guy, that then you're the budget guy. You want to mm-hmm. like pitch him like $200 a day. Then you're that guy. Hey, I got this great guy. He's, you know, he does ah, the photos are pretty good. They're decent, but 200 bucks a day. That's it. Or you can hire, you know, Brett saying, you know, you can hire him up. He's, dude, he's expensive. That's just expensive work. I mean, at the end of the day, like it, it does start to weigh and reflect on that. And, mm-hmm. I've seen it change. I've seen it change quite a bit. It's changed a bunch, but I mean, the thing that I always tell people is like, even if you get into hunting photography of running your own business, I mean, the amount of expertise and knowledge that you gain in that process that correlates to so many other, I mean, you and I have talked about not doing photography and film content, whatever anymore. And I would say that everything I've learned in that process translates in such a huge way to any other business outlet or job that I would go into that it's worth the process. I think the thing is like, Oh yeah. You have to get to a point where you put your foot down. I mean, we talked about it on your goat hunt of like certain people we work with. It's going to cost X amount. Otherwise, if you don't believe in what we're able to deliver of a track record of kicking ass, I'm going to do something else. And that's what I'm always aiming for is like every project that I get, you know, I want to come back with an awesome product and say that is now stacked on top of the last one that was, Mm -hmm. 
it's apparently very successful and the last one that was apparently very successful like it's all stacking up and as that climbs of course you want to be paid accordingly yeah you know what i mean if companies are growing you want to be paid more yeah and if companies are shrinking if you're willing to stay on board with them and say hey listen you know it's been a tough year covid this that the next thing supply chain has been terrible like we need to we're, we're cutting back but if you just stick with us I don't, I mean, I've had my ex fair share of experiences yeah. with loyalty, yeah. for sure, like whether companies will stick with you or not as time goes on. You know, I think relationships come down to, they're, they're very, very, very important, mm -hmm. you know, and but also your integrity is very important. And if your relationship's being manipulated or being taken advantage of, peace, yeah. see ya, like kick rocks, like go, yeah. go somewhere else. And because that, that at the end of the day, you believe in what you believe in. And if, if, if companies don't want to bend to that, if marketing budgets don't want to bend to that, if they're being, if they're successful, then you should be successful. You mm -hmm. should grow with the company. And if you're willing to ride the train on the downslope, good on you. And God bless you. And you're a loyal person and good. I mean, obviously you played some team sports and you know, you've been on some losing teams and seen it turn around. Mm -hmm. You believe in the underdog. And I think we all love a good underdog story. But the point is, is like, I think, you know, if you're willing to ride out the train on the downslope for the upslope, good on you for that. Yeah. You should take advantage of that. But if you're just bouncing in from back and forth to from company to company trying to make a dollar, no matter how you can make it, I think you're always going to be like discontent with where your path is. And, you know, I'm not being recognized for what I can potentially do. I also recommend working for companies that give you the freedom to make those decisions. I mean, mm -hmm. I... I'm in a, I, I work, Matthews is awesome. I mean, I'll tell anyone that. It's an amazing company to work for. I'm given some freedoms to like, hey man, tell me a cool story. You know, story time. I'm sitting down in front of the fire. Grandpa Brett's going to tell me a story. Tell me a cool one and I'll buy it. You know, yeah. uh, if it's, if it sounds cool to me, it's, I mean, if it sounds cool to you, Brett, then I'm sure it sounds cool to everybody else, like because mm -hmm. we trust you for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's 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 just making sure that you feel strongly about the companies that um, that back you and that are you know willing to ride the ups and downs. I mean, a lot of things happen in people's lives that come up that they don't want to talk about, but they end up happening, and and you got to kind of ebbs and flows of it. You know what I mean? Sometimes I I think you're as good as your last photo, your last photo, for real. Like th th if you did great work for ten years and the last three years it sucks. You suck. Sounds like it sucks. Um, it has nothing to do with your last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, you built a great reputation up to that point, but... It's you just know, like athletics. Yeah. Same thing. Performance-based. Yeah, performance-based. <laughs> exactly. And um, ultimately, that should always keep you on the gas. I mean, I... Yeah. But I, what I'm trying to tell you is that I think that, from what I've seen, is that whether you're on the gas or not, some of the the pricing model... For some people, getting into photography, shooting in the outdoor space, uh, the cutthroatness is still mm -hmm. there. They're willing to do it for a lot less money. For sure. And sometimes you get passed up even though you have this this backlog of great work. I mean, at this point, at this day and age with social media, you know, is it about I, – I, I'm interested in knowing this. I'm taking a guess at it, but is it about – me telling you one good story for the day or is it about me flicking you in the ear 35 times today and so then when i come around to you tomorrow you're like oh brett's gonna flick me in the ear regardless of what i showed you on instagram you're gonna like company. the person that tells you the one good story though 
I think a lot of companies have built a very big company on just flicking you. Yeah, well, that company sucks. It sucks or not, it's profitable. And at That's the end okay. of the day, money's That's driving. That's a bullshit mentality to just drive a company, though. I would say. I, well, there's we, a lot of things. We go on you a long and I list know. You and I know that <laughs> there's a lot of things we could do outside of what we do to make more money. But isn't but that? We wouldn't but be. isn't that what the, the the model is these days? No, it's not. I mean, it is in in certain regards. But there's some companies that that's 100 percent of the it. certain regards. What we're talking about, like that's basically what's driving a lot of companies. Yeah. I think it'd be day, hard Zach, to find a at the very end of the pure one hundred percent like I don't know if that model works. That's what I'm trying to say to you. I know, but there's some companies that like you eliminate their like that's all they care about. Like when the majority of your business is just a dollar sign, like you can I, say that. I'm out. Yeah, you're I'm out. You're out. Right. I understand that you gotta turn a a, a dollar a month, like it would be, but it'd are be the unrealistic. people that are trying to build a reputation as a content creator or a, story te- a storyteller are they out? I don't know. If most they're trying to cut are. their teeth, no. yeah, most of them are. No, if they're trying to cut their teeth, no. I remember when Yeti, like when we turned down work with Yeti, which most people be like, "Oh, I work for Yeti," you know, and it's like, I remember. I forget who it was. There, it doesn't matter. But I was like, if you can explain to me how I make a single dollar. On this deal, I'll sign the contract. And they couldn't. So we didn't work with them. Yeah. (laughs) And that was because everybody wanted to work for Yeti and they chose to, you know, for whatever internal reasons to cut costs in an area, still get the content they needed and push their business forward. And I just didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, not to say that I had any. I had a great experience on. working with them. I mean, maybe it was the timing of it, but I mean, some of the best jobs I've ever had in my life were through Yeti. Yeah, and I, I think for the amount of engagement or what they were broadcasting, like if you take a photo and you print it seven hundred fifty thousand times, like you should be paid accordingly to that. Yeah. If I shoot a photo and it's going in the local church's pamphlet that's going to be shown on Sunday yeah. only, yeah. Um, that might be 100 people, 150 people. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be priced accordingly. You know what I mean? And so I guess what I'm saying is like I uh, sometimes I see people get bis- basically fold like a cheap suit to some of these companies that are going to take their take their story or take their images send it out to the world and broadcast it on so many different levels and uh, and not be paid accordingly for it. Mm-hmm. They should – and not say, dude, what are you doing? Like, no, take it down or don't use it. Like, go find the other guy that's going to – but there's – it seems like there's always, like, 40 people below that are like, yep, yep, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. What is that doing for photographers in general? It's definitely not elevating the craft. No, I think. Well, but I think it's come down. down to to, it, it was. It was about. It was film at first, right? You had to even know how to develop film. You had to know how to like. You had to have the right person in distribution to get your photos out there to show people. And then it went to digital photography, and then equipment was just advancing so much. And dude, I mean, come on. At this point, you could still shoot on a A seven R R two and get beautiful photos all day long 
Um, is it about tech, technological advances at this point with photography? Uh, no. no, it's not. You're right. It's not. You can say one camera's better than another for the last five years, but they've all kind of got to this level where it's like, damn, that's pretty damn crisp. Like, they all look pretty damn crisp. And what I'm worried about at this point is, is social media even giving a shit about that? Are these companies really even giving a shit about whether it's tax sharp, whether it's I, – I don't think they are. I think they're all about flicking you in the air over and over and over and over and over and over. How many times can I get in your feed? If I can get in your feed in the next 40 thumb scrolls, if I can get your feed twice, that's way better. That's that's twice as good as once. And if, I, if, if that is in the four-hour span – that's 10 times better than in a 10-hour span, and, by, you know, and, and so on and so on. And I don't know if it's about like really telling stories anymore or telling really good content pieces anymore. You know what I mean? That's what I'm worried about. I'm not saying that all companies do that. I think you're doing a great job with Stone Glacier trying mm-hmm. to tell authentic, wonderful stories about people's lives mm-hmm. and this hunting life that we have that we are cherishing and trying to tell them in a very elaborate, articulated way. I think that there's other companies that in the past have told wonderful stories. And you read them and you're like, yes. And I've been a part of some of those stories. I've been lucky enough to, to say, Brett, tell us that story through your eye prospectively. And that's what you pick up a camera and you go out there and you work your ass off for. Mm-hmm. And those are awesome. But as time has gone on, I don't see that authenticity to it as much as I've saw, seen in the past. And that's where... Yeah. The question that you asked in the beginning of this podcast, that's where it comes back to, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I think either you go a different route or you make a positive influence. And I think the coolest thing about my path is that I got to learn everything on my own, photography and hunting, got into the industry, got stabbed in the back, made all the mistakes, and chose to take a path to impact things as small as it may feel whether the whole industry is doing it differently or not in a different fashion both of educating new photographers on how to view it how to do it as well as now working for a brand and actually giving a shit about our photographers looking at their galleries giving them feedback trying to help them grow all the products we build get tested in the field. The product photos are actually from hunts. All the things that when I worked for other brands, they didn't do. So, I mean, that's been super rewarding. And I think if I couldn't do that, I would leave the industry. And I think more people need to kind of like be a little bit bolder in how they feel about the craft and the profession. And again, how thoughtful are you? Are you just going with the flow and kind of just like going here and floating around? Or are you actually thinking about like, what is it I do? What do how, how do my actions impact not just me, but the industry, the other people, people that view my contact, my relationships, whether my pricing's high, low, like, are you, are you thoughtful? Are you passionate? And do you go deep yeah. on, on what you do? Yeah. I think what going back to what Matt says is there's lots of people out there that are trying to take the short route mm-hmm. and the short route yeah. is all following. And then if you get enough, like it's all now, like on the left, how many followers do you have? Great. You have 50,000 eyeballs. Yeah. We'll give you a crack. Mm-hmm. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. Some, most of them are just taking, um, just taking gear. Yeah. I have some, uh, some friends in the waterfall space and you know, I've gone on some waterfall shoots and 
man, I I love waterfall hunting. I love I love the idea of it. You know, I don't I don't want waterfall hunt for myself. Yeah. Um, I don't like I don't open my fridge and say I'm gonna eat elk, deer, antelope. No, I'm gonna eat a duck. Like a duck to me no. is not that good. Like no. it just doesn't taste that. Prove me wrong. I'd love for you somebody to cook me a duck that tastes delicious. And I might change my mind, but you might not want that to happen anyways. So maybe ignorance is bliss on that. Yeah. But the point is, is like when it comes time to divvy up ducks, like no one does the Scooby. No one's like, yo, I want them all. Dude, what, yeah, I'm doing the Scooby-Doo run, bro. <laughs> I'm fucking 10 miles down the road. And you'll be like, Brett, where's Brett's ducks? You know, I do end up taking the ducks. I just, I quit duck hunting like eh, probably 10, 15 years ago because I didn't really care for the meat. But the point, what I'm trying to say is I have some friends that are in the waterfall space that love to duck hunt. And they are all about Instagram, dude. Yeah. And they'll do anything for the attention that they get on that. And they're trying to build these like, you know, they all have their own little businesses and side hustles and stuff like that. But they're trying to, for whatever reason, they need this affirmation in the in the waterfall space that I keep asking them, why? For what? What do you need from it? What do you need from it that you don't already get when they're coming in with a quote-unquote dick in their hand, like they're, they're cupped up and they're they're dropping in, they're they're just they're doing exactly what you want, and you're and you're dropping a duck cleanly. Dog goes out and gets it, which we all know that's probably the most important part is just watching the dog work. That's the best part for me, anyways. Mm-hmm. Brings it back to you all those off-season months of training your dog. Gives you your duck. Boom, you sit down. Maybe you're cooking a breakfast burrito in the middle of the blind, and you're saying life is awesome. Why do you feel? And, and you already got another income. That's that's already going. But like for whatever, what? Why do you have this drive to find affirmation in complete strangers over whether or not? And with ducks, like they don't have racks, right? So with, they don't have antlers. They can't met. You can't say that's a three hundred twenty inch yeah. duck. You can't say it's an eighteen inch duck and that's a fifteen inch duck. We don't measure their bills. But what people are addicted to in the waterfall space is: Did you limit out or not? Did you get them all? Did you go snow geese hunting? Did you shoot seventy five <laughs> or did you shoot four hundred? Like, dude, that's the, that's, I mean, 75, good, whatever, no big deal. Like, so, so like, I want to watch you clean 400 snow geese. Yeah. And I want to watch you eat 400 snow geese. And I know you elk hunt and I know you deer hunt. And I know that you went on an antelope hunt and you got a scheduled, a coos deer hunt. Like, I want to watch you eat all of this. Like, it's, uh, what? are you looking for out of all this is it about is it about killing things is it about i know i've we've moved off of what we were talking (laughs) about before but i'm having a hard time conceptualizing why people find social media so important in their lives i don't understand it and what i what i think at the end of the day what it is is like they're just finding some kind of they don't have they have some kind of loneliness in their life they're feeling a void they're filling a void, and unfor- but but what I'm getting back to what Matt's saying is Matt is saying that that void that they're filling personally for themselves, thinking they're not making an impact when they're actually making an impact because they are one of many other people they're influencing, and they it just it's a snowball effect, right? It's mm-hmm. bigger and bigger and bigger. They are part of something that's impacting all of us, no matter how yeah. we feel about hunting, and that is the overcrowding experience that I think people are feeling, and that's. That's unfortunate, man, because we all got to live on this earth together. And, you know, you can say that we can try to live in harmony. There's always going to be chaos, dude. 
Yeah. We're human beings. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're, we're animals. And, and that's, it, it, it's kind of, it's just, it's real simplistic at the end of the day. Like, we're just, I don't know if we know how to do anything but destroy it first before yeah. we understand how to rebuild it. Like, I just don't know if a society understands that. And that is harsh for me to accept when I've seen it in the path of pre-destruction or the growth of it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the experiences I've had, and then I'm going to have a son, and I have to teach him how to adapt to what is now. And, you know, the honey pressure that you and I are talking about, to guys that have been hunting for 40 years, dude, those guys have a legit argument. They've been seeing it. They've seen it a totally different way even 10 years ago, let alone 30 years ago. They have a legit reason to be like, man, this isn't what I signed up for in the beginning. This is what I didn't fall in love with. I know a lot of people that quit hunting. They're just I mean, giving up on I'm it. I'm sure you've seen – I've seen drastic changes in just the five, last five years. Five years. Yes. Yes. And it, But it, it still astounds me how much opportunity there is, even though – if you're willing, if you're willing to adapt, but I think, as you know, and I think you'll understand this even more as you get older, as you get older, you just, you, you know, you, you know what you know, mm -hmm. you know, what you, you don't know what you don't know and you accept it. And you just, at some point, like it just, life becomes, uh, there are routine parts to it and you rely on those really routine parts to it. And I think some of these guys are relying on routine parts. Mm -hmm. And I think Matt's relying on some of his routineness that he had in the past. For sure. I think I mean the guy sounds like he has llamas, he sounds like he moves around and checks out some spots. I think he's he's deeply passionate about the places he used to hunt and I think he's speaking out about the places that he used to go that he has that he can't find solitude anymore and now he has to go find other places. Yeah, it's I'm not glad. to say that Matt doesn't have more opportunity. He does have a world of opportunity if he takes those llamas somewhere else. It's just that he's thinking, for but why? Why am I having to do this? I, it shouldn't have to be this way. And it could go back if we just stop promoting the wrong thing. And he's mm -hmm. saying that people are incentivized by killing animals and posting about them to try to get that quote-unquote killer mentality or a killer reputation when that should not be a part of it at all the reality is the social media is not going anywhere shitheads aren't going anywhere so that doesn't but that doesn't mean we lose think, faith and no 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 and that's why i think that you just try to impart your positive influence where you can right adapt do the best you can to influence people both through the content you post, through your personal relationships, how you work, how just your whole life across the spectrum. Yeah. And and that's life. Like it's not that gonna is be life. it's Adaptation you constantly is life. have to be changing. Yes. Hundred percent. Yeah. And yeah. I appreciate Matt's willingness to voice his opinion. I think more people need to do that. I think he has some good points. He has some points that I think, you know could be argued and if he was sat here with us probably the fine nitty-gritty details some of those points would probably be different if you had the ability to go into them articulate yeah Lo i think but long, I, long form conversation like what we're doing right now is, yeah. is definitely the way it, it's just again like the beginning of the conversation is just more people just need to think about what the hell they're doing in life across the spectrum 100 percent, and and be able to articulate why it is you do anything
Yeah. Whether you decide you want to wake up at 5 a.m., 8 a.m., why do you do your job? Do you think you why do you have these relationships? Why do you have the friends that you have? Why do you hunt the way that you hunt? Why did you buy the truck that you bought? Why do you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like anything, yeah. just, just, just think about your life and, and just go yeah. a little bit deeper than going with the flow or doing what the next person does. I think it's, it's evident that I think mankind has kind of lost its, uh, perspective on purpose mm-hmm. i'm like why are you here what are you doing yeah. you know just what I mean? ease of my perspective is going to change a lot come march oh yeah <laughs> and i'm going to look at my son that i haven't met yet and and i think i guarantee i'm a different guy yeah i don't know to what extent because i haven't been a father yet but th- my perspective is going to change and like you said you know like if you you know you have to be willing to adapt and if that means less hunting trips and less experiences outdoors so I can spend time being a father. Like mm-hmm. I, that that's, I'm signing up for that. You know what I mean? For sure. I just want to know that at some point when I go, when I, when I get to experience these things with him, that, that we've been good stewards as human beings to try to not pass on a lump of shit to our kids to mm-hmm. siphon through and say, Hey, look, you know, it's a really nice plate of food. And you're like, no, I took That's, that's like, that's my feces. That's what I ingested and shit on the plate, and that's what you get to pick through and find food in. Yeah. Like, I just I want to make sure that that's as much food as it possible. Like, it's fulfilling. That's a bad – it's such a wrong <laughs> – That analogy. my shit is as food. Dude, I mean, the analogy of that, like, I went down a path there. Sorry, y'all. I did not uh, I did not mean to go down that yeah, That's all right. They made it two You know hours what I'm trying that. to say. <laughs> What I'm trying to say is I just, you know, to Leave be a good it. steward for somebody. And I think about that with that, not just my child coming, but like I look at other kids and I just hope that we're leaving them something that they can explore, that they can find um, some kind of sense of um, adventurousness to it. You know what I mean? It's really important to me, man. I, you know, I never thought like this even 10 years ago. Like I think I started realizing it as I get a little older and I think as becoming a parent, I think it's going to be absolutely critical to really recognizing this, but just leaving something behind that that we enjoy so much that we want to talk about and promote in a positive way, you know, I, I just, I, I wish the majority of the world, I'm not saying I do a perfect job of it. I know that I, as much as I've been a positive, and you have been a positive influence, we've probably also created some kind of negative no influence. You know what I mean? And, and that is something I live with and try to think about and dissect. I try not to think about it too much because I think about both things, but I try not to think about the positive or the negative aspect of it too much because it can be overwhelming and you just can't comprehend really what's going on. You don't know all the whole truth. No. Of it. You don't even know a portion of it. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> I think we've had our hands dirty and, and the, the progression of Instagram and the progression of social media, YouTube and mm-hmm. creating films and telling stories. And I just, man, I want to believe that that we're creating a better better world than what we're what we're um uh impacting in a negative way but i don't know man as i as i i peruse through this instagram my wife's always like dude just stop stop following some of that stuff and yeah i understand that but that's kind of like ignorance is bliss like i'm just gonna you know i don't if i don't have to look at like out of sight, out of mind, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to keep a monitor on it. You know what I mean? I kind of want to watch how it's progressing so that I can understand and adapt. So whether you say, oh, shitty influencers, you know, I'm just going to unfollow them so I don't have to think about them anymore. Like, yeah, I think it's also smart to keep some perspective on that and watch and observe it because it's, 
I don't know. But at the same day, at the same time, I wish I could have them in my boat for eight hours and talk to them. Because I, I would first and foremost, I guarantee they're not as shitty of people as we no, assume they definitely are. Definitely not. They just have a certain perspective, right? Like an asshole doesn't know he's an asshole. Or they're just misguided and they don't even realize it. it well, we all have a we have a justification in how we feel about things. You know, one person does a wrong, one person does a right, or no, one person does a wrong to somebody and that didn't decide that anything was going to happen. And this person that's wrong, that justifies what they did, they truly, most of the time, don't understand or comprehend that they did something wrong. They justify it in their own mind. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing on social media through the hunting industry or just through through hunting is we're seeing justifications. I justify putting these duck bills in my mouth. I think it's funny, and my buddies think it's funny if I lay next to a dead deer naked. Like, the world thinks, ugh, it's gross, but does he even care? Yeah. Or is it just is he justifying just for his buddies? In that case scenario, I would say to that person, then just text your buddies a dead, you know, if you're gonna lay naked next to your your whitetail, like then do it and send it to your buddies and let it be the end of it. But mm -hmm. why are you going to put it out to their bunch of strangers? And maybe someone else has, they think, oh, dude, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that too. Look how much engagement he had. He went from hey, getting 400 likes to like 2,000 likes or went from getting two comments to 40 comments. It's got to be engagement. And they're just seeing that model of like, oh, man, just if it, and the algorithm kicks up as you – engage with more people so you're just getting in front of more and more and more people and we're seeing that dude it's disgusting and that's where i'm like uh social media is is just made me it's disgusted me mm -hmm. in a way of that i mean it's across the spectrum but it's also i mean if you look at issues in just in our country as far as our freedoms and just everybody included the silent majority you lose freedoms when you're silent. Sure. In today's day and age. Like, it's just a fact whether it comes down to just even management of fish and wildlife. Most people disagree with the concepts and the principles. But the fact is, if you're silent, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of deal. It's like you almost have to be involved, even if it's not a lot, but in a positive way, I feel like. Or if you don't want to be involved in social media, detach and be positive somewhere else. Because you don't, it's not just social media that you can have positive influence. You can have positive influence in a million other ways. Sure. But if you're going to be on social media, I mean, at least if you share a mindset similar to ours, like you should do it for good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And be willing, you know, to have that influence because as shitty as it is, that doesn't have to be everybody. Sure. And it isn't everybody. Right. So, and doing good is, it, doing good feels good and it is contagious. Yes. yes. Doing things the way that a lot of people do them feel good in the short term, but overall those people are not the people that are truly happy. Right. So, it's complicated. We're a couple hours in. Cool. Should we wrap this shit up? Yeah, man. I'd tell you where to follow, Brett, but you don't need to because that motherfucker don't post shit. <laughs> <laughs> I had someone the other day that's like, you have the lamest Instagram ever. And I'm like, huh. Didn't even phase you, probably. I mean, it doesn't shit. make me post more. Like, <laughs> no. what do I care yeah. about that? I, yeah. You don't do it for any feel-good reasons. I've just gone through a transformation that I'm in a limbo spot with it. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how I feel about posting. I, you know, I want to do the 
the right thing with it, but maybe the right thing is um, it's not like you said. Being silent is necessary. That's not necessarily the right thing. It's just where do you fit in at this model anymore where you feel like you're not making a negative impact? Mm -hmm. Because I want to look at the positive side of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, is it is it all about, like, getting more hunters out there or selling more bows or, you know, promoting more mountain goat hunts? I don't – no, not necessarily. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's a, it's a beauty of life, man. You just don't have the answers to everything. For sure. I love that. You got to start it out as you go. Yep. Yep. And you know, I mean, everyone's going to have an answer to whatever the questions they have at some point in their life. The irony of it is that when you have most of those answers, you're like 80 years old and decrepit and you're sitting in a nursing home. No one wants to listen to your answers anyways because they, oh, yeah, he's just decrepit, got new old, problems. decrepit old Zach. He's, you know, he's... he's you can't stop talking. And I hope someone pulls the plug if I ever get to that point. I'll pull the plug for <laughs> yeah. you. Just, just Dude, I'm going to put you in a drift boat. Dude, yeah, put me put, over some freaking. I'm going to put a like the biggest mutant brown trout of any stocked pond in the country on the end of your line with like 15-pound maxima. And I'm going to put you in a drift boat and send you over Niagara Falls. Dude, just tight. Just <laughs> tight. Putting heat on them. <laughs> <laughs> no oars, a blindfold. No, not blindfold. You won't be able to see by that point. No, anyways. I want to see that brown freaking freaking fighting as I'm going down the falls. Yeah, I don't know. Would you? De- is it mandatory death if you go over Niagara Falls? Or is playing it like- some journey here? I go again <laughs> on my own. Going down the only road I ever known, dude. You right <laughs> over the right over into the abyss. That'd be a All beautiful right. end. It'd be great. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great. I feel like if I'm going to go out, if there's a good way, it'd be going out somehow hunting. Man, dude, if people haven't tuned out like five minutes ago, I don't know why they wouldn't know. They're They're on the edges of their seats (laughs) right now. They're like, no. No, 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 Just getting fucking lost on some tangent, guys. They press stop. (laughs) They're like, next. We got work to do. Brett and I got to decide if we're going to actually do a project together next year, if it's worth it or not. We got to go through all the fucking checks and balances determine if it's if it's worth the endeavor or not. if the engagement's <laughs> right no, i'm just kidding um um final parting thoughts everybody have a wonderful christmas amen spend time with your family mm-hmm. don't talk politics you'll be good